0: Welcome to Six Pennies Podcast. Today you have myself, Jonathan Mock, and Timmy Chu. Timmy Chu will chime in later, but Mock, how are you doing?
1: Good, man. I'm excited about this one.
0: Yeah, this is, this is one of those passion projects that I've been working on now for a few weeks, but we're going to be talking about Dirk Nowitzki. It's probably his last year in his 21-year-long career as a Dallas Maverick, and I basically just interview a bunch of Mavericks fans and Dirk fans all over the country and have them speak on you know, Dirk Nowitzki and what he's really meant for each of them.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's, it's going to be a long one, but hopefully you guys have some popcorn out there and can really sit back and enjoy this one.
0: Um, this is going to be around three hours, so definitely you don't need to listen to it all in one sitting. I, I do also want to disclose that I recorded in all different places, like in my car, basketball court, like it was Every, we were everywhere. And so I do want to disclose that there might be some noise or there might be some echoing in, in some parts of the recording. I just want to hear a little bit about what you thought. I know you're a Houston Rockets fan through and through. You're from Houston. That's justifiable. But Dallas has been a big rivalry to you. And, and at the center of that rivalry is, is
1: Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I definitely do have some thoughts on this. Uh, Let me just tease that real quick. But first, let's talk about our sponsors. We don't wanna leave them hanging. Uh, This is obviously a very long podcast, so just bear with us as we talk about a few of our very beloved sponsors. So today's episode of the Six Pennies Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Farmers Insurance and Derek Shaw. Don't be caught unprepared the next time there's a flood or hurricane or if you're in a car accident. Get a home life and auto insurance quote today Derek is eagerly awaiting your call, text, FaceTime, whatever you want for a free consultation. Please check out his Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Derek Shaw Insurance. That's D-R-E-K-S-H-A-W Insurance. And he can also be reached right at his cell phone at 214-729-6462. I, myself, I give him a call or give him a text every single year to just check up on these rates, and he faithfully complies. I haven't used them yet, but I know one of these years it'll it'll all work out. Yeah, I'm
0: using for life insurance. Uh, another thing is don't forget to mention Six pennies podcast.
1: He will hook you up with a nice discount. Disha is the best. Uh, speaking of different types of jobs, this podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Avignon Realty. So if you are happen to be a real estate agent and located in Houston, Dallas, or anywhere in Texas, look at Avignon Realty to provide you the support and infrastructure you need to be a successful agent. Avignon Realty is also offering a 100% commission plan. It's crazy. If you are in the industry, you know that this is an amazing offer. So just by joining Avignon Realty, you'll be given one-on-one performance coaching, all the tools at your disposal to be able to work remotely and mentoring by a team of the firm's experienced brokers. There are a few ways to find Avignon Realty. The easiest way would be to go through our Facebook page. Uh, So hopefully everyone listening here today is a fan and and likes our Facebook page and and we'll link Avignon Realty directly on there. Or you can also call Coach. Uh, I only know him by Coach, what's his real name?
0: Van Den, CEO and founder of Avignon Realty. It's 469951. 3585 469 Again, if you mentioned six pennies podcast, he's going to hook you up with free brokerage fees for the first couple months. Like he's going to waive it. Just send him a text. Hey coach, I heard this on six pennies podcast and give him a call.
1: We also want to promote our third sponsor. It's tasty Tales in Richardson, Texas. I have personally been myself, I'm from Houston, obviously, but last time I was in Dallas for your baby's baby shower, so it's been a few months, but we made a trip out to Tasty Tales and it was amazing. I had the stuffed po'boy with fried oysters, really, really good. Uh, So they're open Sunday to Thursday from 11 to 9 p.m. and Friday to Saturday, 11 to 10 p.m. So it's pretty late and they have happy hours as well, uh, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 p.m. Uh, they have all sorts of drink specials like two fifty domestic beers, dollar oysters on the half shell, fifty wow. cent wings. Every day of the week it seems like they have a different special. Thursday Thursdays, uh, starting from two dollar fireballs to three dollar deep eddies. It's it's all over the place. So
0: yeah, the big thing going on right now is Tuesdays. If you go to Tuesdays, you get live, never frozen crawfish for five ninety nine a pound. You can't even get that some places like uncooked. Like if you yeah, go to Yeah, you can't even store,
1: get that at the grocery store right now.
0: And again, here as well, if you mention six pennies Podcast and you're dining
1: in, you get fifteen percent off your entire bill. Okay. So back to the question at hand. You had asked me about just overall thoughts on Dirk, right?
0: He has killed the Rockets for a while now. Maybe not recently, but you know, 21 years. There's a lot
1: of ups and downs there. Yeah, for sure. Dirk is one of the only players on the Mavericks that I have never hated. It's insane to think about over the past 21 years. Uh, even in his prime, uh, 04-05 series against the Rockets, it was. Back and forth, there's a lot of animosity. We we're in both we we're both in college. There's a lot of uh, a lot of drama, sports drama between every game. Uh, the, that game went to that series went to seven. It was the first round series between the Mavericks and the Rockets, and Dirk just killed us. Uh, I mean, we were trying to throw anyone at him. We we didn't really have anyone to guard him. <laughs> it was ranging from like Clarence Weatherspoon to Ryan Bowen and. Uh, we we try to throw T-Mac on him at some point, but Dirk is amazing. And I think I mentioned this before uh, to you in person, or possibly also on a previous podcast episode, but the thing that sticks out to me the most is just his personality. Uh, I saw him on Punked a long time ago (laughs) with uh, Michael Finley, and that episode is always just kind of stuck in the back of my mind. He's just... I think he's as nice a guy as they come in the NBA. He just cut from a different cloth, man. So this particular episode, him and Michael Finley were eating dinner at a nice restaurant. And uh, Ashton Kutcher had this kid come up, spot him, and start bringing him just these random items. None of it was Mavericks gear. None of it was even basketball related. Uh, it's just all sorts of stuff. Just this kid and his mom. It, we're talking about like dozens and dozens and dozens of items to sign. And Dirk just—I mean, I'm sure he is hungry. He's right in the middle of dinner with his friends, and he was just there signing all of it. Uh, and then until finally, I think the third trip back, the the kid brought another bag of stuff, and he, he was finally like, "Okay, kid, you know, I signed all your stuff." He uh, was just just seemed very endearing to me even as a Houston fan it's funny that you
0: brought up that that moment or that episode but was Michael Finley in on that trick
1: I think Finley was the one who set him up yeah
0: oh okay that's cool it's really cool that you brought that up because you know I interviewed maybe 10 different people for this podcast and you're the only one that mentioned that particular episode (laughs) Um, you're also a huge
1: like MTV guy I, I do love MTV shows. Uh, it's one of the probably one of the low key reasons I haven't cut the cord yet. But yeah, I'll still watch ridiculousness every now and then, uh, pretty often actually. Uh, but I'm I'm probably also one of the older people that have been interviewed for this, correct?
0: I mean, you're no, you're right in the mean. Right in the mean.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but bringing up age is kind of brings me to my last point about Dirk. I don't know about you, but Things really changed in my sports fandom when I became older than most of the players in the league. Um, I remember a few years ago, I had a media pass uh, when Jeremy Lin was on the team. I had a, had a friend who worked for a Chinese radio station, and he hooked me up a media pass. Uh, this was one of the things I could go to whatever game I wanted, just show the media pass, and then I had access to the you know, post-game Uh, press conference with uh, the coach uh, and then I had access to the locker room after the game and and I just remember looking around that locker room and I was like it was so weird like there was one player on the team that was older than and that was Francisco Garcia Uh, so from that point forward I was like man it's it's really hard for me to even view the game the same way like I can't I feel a little weird even now I still do have favorite players but it feels weird saying that you know, like these these guys are all kids now in the league, and and with Dirk, he's he's gonna be one of the last of this generation. I mean, he's forty right now, and as it stands, there's maybe a handful of guys that are older than us in the league, and he's he's one of them. And I think things are gonna be a lot different without Dirk. Like I can't, I know he hasn't been as relevant in the past couple of years. Um, just you know, father time just catches up with everybody, but. It's going to be a completely different league without the Dirks, without the Vince, uh, Vince Carters, without the even Jamal Crawford or the LeBrons of the league. And so I I definitely appreciate what he's done, uh, all the accomplishments he's, he's kind of put up on his uh, resume the past 21 years, all with the same team. I respect that a whole ton. Um, Makes me think back with Hakeem Alajwan and how I wish he had finished out his entire career with Houston. Uh, but they just don't make them like that anymore. So props to Dirk, happy retirement, and the league won't be the same without you, man.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well put, Mok. Thank you for those kind words, and uh, I'm looking forward to just um, playing the rest of the podcast. And please, guys, if you guys have any comments or questions about some of the topics that we talk about or if you guys want to even chime in, just go to our Facebook page and and leave us a comment there. And please enjoy the rest of your uh, the next couple hours here and um, talk to you soon. All right. Our first guest for today's show is Paul Liang. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing
2: good. Happy to be on the show.
0: Before we dive into the greatness that is Dirk Nowitzki, uh, let's give some of our listeners uh, just a little bi- biography about yourself, where you're located, some of your background and things like that.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm born and raised in Dallas, Texas. Went to school at UT Austin. I graduated class of 2011. Uh, got married in Seattle, and that's when be attended my wedding and got to see everybody hit uh, level 100. <laughs> and so been in Seattle ever since. Missing NBA basketball over here. Uh, tired of all the Seahawks fans, uh, but enjoying the weather here
0: nice so you're in seattle there how long have you been there again
2: yeah we just hit four years so nice. it, it, it felt like year one still but yeah we own a home here now and so um really transitioning to staying here maybe long term i know you want me in dallas but um i have to deal with the mortgage first
3: i'm
0: just like dirk navisky man i want everybody in dallas
2: Yeah, Uh, I want a team up here in Seattle so I could see him, but I might be too late for that.
0: All right, so the purpose of having you on the show is just to talk about Dirk. It's been 21 years since he first put on a Dallas Mavs jersey. Um, That's basically the majority of both of our lives, both of our, you know, most of our friends' lives. Like, he has played an integral part in just how we've developed as individuals as sports fans, as basketball fans, whether it's NBA, whether it's, you know, he he created the stretch four basically. But out of all of that, what is what is the thing you in your opinion is the most influential thing about Dirk Nowitzki and his career as a Dallas Maverick?
2: Yeah, um, I think it was Carlisle who said the other day uh, that Dirk allows the casual fan to relate to him in a very unusual and special way because he's not the type of player that's larger than life. And this isn't a knock on those players that are larger than life, like LeBron James. He's able to leverage his platform for good. Uh, Kobe's gotten uh, acquired a lot of fame across multiple channels. Uh, Dirk just isn't that type of guy. And so as an NBA fan, uh, relating to Dirk is like relating to uh, this uncle. Um, And he... Who keeps his world really small. He doesn't really get out much. Um, Dirk is easy to relate to because uh, for him, the game of basketball, while it is a massive sport to Dirk, is just putting a ball into a basket. And I, I remember he said this in his documentary. He was saying, it's crazy if you think about Um, about his career. He says, I'm just good at throwing a ball into a basket because I'm like nine feet tall. And it's unreal that people want my autograph. People want my photograph just because I'm good at shooting hoops. And so there's just this type of guy that doesn't really exude the normal archetypes of toughness, doesn't really exude uh, the normal aspirations of most players. He just simply keeps his world small and doesn't try to doesn't get inflated by the uh, by his ego or by the media that's trying to either puff him up or break him down
0: I think for all intents and purposes unless he does decide to come back for year number 22 but it seems like the NBA then the Mavs organization and as well as himself um, with some of the things that he said throughout the year it seems like this might be the last season it might be the final curtain call for him he's not all about you know the individual he doesn't want to be the center of attention so he doesn't want to have this you know long uh farewell tour um i'm not going to name any names Dwayne wade but other than that like um what if if you were to look back let's say let's say you and tina have you know a kid he or she's 10 years old she asks you about dirk nowitzki what would you tell her is like the most memorable thing, or what would you tell her that really sets him apart from you know other NBA stars?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I thought about this, and it's difficult, but um, I'm probably going to venture outside of the 2011 Finals because uh, the 2011 Finals to me is sort of like a culmination of of his journey. Um, but midway through, it was 2009 Western Conference Finals, round one. Um, it was against the New Orleans Hornets. And it was during a time where Tyson Chandler and David West and uh, you know Chris Paul, they were really publicizing through the media that Dirk Nowitzki and the Dallas Mavericks just lack a certain degree of toughness. And that they saw this team as a team that could be broken down. And so it was sort of... They were just channeling this through all the public channels there were, and uh, it was a very upfront um, confrontation to Dirk and this perception of Dirk that he's not tough. He's a he's a he's a European who came overseas and he plays this brand of basketball that shies away from the paint, that shies away from uh, just really banging in the post. This certain archetype of that uh, big man in the post, and so. I, I just remember there's this one moment, and you probably remember this too, but uh, Dirk had to face David West often, and it's been known that David West is not a fan of Dirk. And I think it comes down to this one moment, right, where Dirk accidentally tagged David West in the head with his elbow, and uh, the, the, I think the refs called uh, a dead ball after that. And David West went up to Dirk and just reached out his hand, and he nudged Dirk's chin just like a kid, just like a parent would towards their kid. And I remember Dirk just stood there. He didn't back up. He didn't step forward. He didn't shove. He just stood there almost motionless. And this one moment became sort of this Rorschach test for how, um, how toughness and masculinity is really perceived is that the media started criticizing Dirk in that moment. They say, You're not being tough. He didn't fight back. He's willing to be disrespected and humiliated. And the biggest criticism of that time, it just echoed the biggest criticism was that he isn't a tough or aggressive. And um, for me, though, I read that situation very differently because to me, when I looked at Dirk, it really looked like he had no idea why David West was (laughs) angry and nudged his chin. Dirk was literally stunned and he wasn't intimidated, right? He was just simply confused why is this guy nudging my chin? I mean, there are a lot of weird things happening. Dirk in that series where you know, even Tyson Chandler, there's this funny photo of Tyson Chandler. Just he was guarding Dirk so closely that his face was in Dirk's armpit. And you could just see that there are a lot of things that this team would do to try to challenge this. I, Dirk's uh, this idea of that. He wasn't tough. And so, uh, You know, in that moment, I just saw Dirk as a guy who was fine being confused. He was fine being his own self. He was fine playing his own brand of basketball that was being the stretch four. He was fine not really being appreciated. He was fine with fans even clamoring. You know, in that moment, I would think I wanted him to just clock David West in the face. Um, (laughs) Or I wanted Eric Dampier to clock david west in the face for dirk because really he should be the guy that uh does it instead of dirk you know because we need him a lot more but i i think it's just this image of dirk that he doesn't let the surrounding insecurities about his toughness really sink deep into his skin and so anytime there's like the media that they try to embellish a narrative that um that Dirk is misrepresenting the Euros or Dirk is, uh, you know, is never going to be the, one of the greatest of all times. You know, especially now that he's surpassed Will Chamberlain, he just wasn't appreciated for his time. He never let us sink in. And so uh, he's just that quiet assassin. And, he, you know, he absolutely had David, David West number, but we still lost that series. But to me, that was a star that was worth uh, it was worth saying that that was my superstar in Dallas.
0: I have a couple reactions to that. Uh, first thing is, I'll be honest, I don't remember that series very well. I do remember that moment. I remember yeah. the touch to the chin, and Dirk literally just like looked past him, like it wasn't, it's was nothing, like nothing happened. Uh, but it it just goes to show you, like although the Mavs won in twenty eleven, um, they made it to the finals in oh five oh six and lost. There were a lot of years in between um, that were. You know, they they won 50 and made it to the playoffs, but they were not that successful. You know, so he Mm -hmm. had to endure through so much hardship, so much turnover, and not only with the personnel, but coaching staff. Um, Mark Cuban was always there, always supportive, which was a good thing. Um, But, it you know, when you bring that series up, it just like I just had a, you know, like a moment of like, man, even though he's had you know, 21 amazing years and we made the playoffs, I don't know, like 17 times, um, you know, 15 of those times can be deemed unsuccessful. And it's uh, it's crazy that he had the resolve to continue and he had the resolve to just get better every year. Another reaction I had to that was, um, you're right, I do remember just the NBA narrative against Dirk was a soft European. This was especially prominent after that Golden State Warriors series when we lost as a number 1 seed first time in NBA history um but it was just like that was his narrative and it was going to follow him for the rest of his career until he won one right um, but it's funny yeah. you fast forward 10 years now if you're a 7 footer and all you can do is bang you're actually not as valuable now if you're a 7 footer you need to be able to pass you need to be able to run, finish, shoot, things like that and and Dirk really started that that trend if you
2: will. Yeah, I mean it was like I think last year in the playoffs uh the Bucks against the Celtics, they could only play Greg Monroe in certain stretches to be able to counter the small ball, but it was like the small niche tactic that would be deployed whereas the norm now is you know, how well can Miritish actually change and really push the Bucks further into contention? And, you know, Miritish is just like one version of the archetype that Dirk has really established and pioneered. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're totally right about how he's evolved the game. And and as for another story, I do want to tell you uh, another story that I would probably tell my, you know, my kid if I had one Um Hopefully, when they're like a teenager is when the Dallas Mavericks faced the Nuggets in the playoffs. Uh, it was Western Conference playoffs round one. It was against Melo. Um, it was against Kenya Martin and Nene Hilario. Yep. But you remember the time we lost the series too. Uh, There's one heartbreaking loss where you know Carmelo just made this uh, game-winning three-pointer against Antoine Wright. Uh, but it, it was a tough series, and it was partially due to the fact that. Um, In the media at the time, Crystal Taylor was Dirk's fiance at the time. And the FBI had discovered that she was an imposter and a swindler. And she was uh, basically just after Dirk for his money. And what happened was that uh, um, Dirk just suddenly got a knock on the door from the FBI. And Crystal Taylor was basically jumping out the window. And it was in that moment that. His world kind of came crashing down as far as who this woman was and that he really loved her. And uh, I remember during that time, this was a media frenzy, it was playoffs round one. And Dirk was just still pacing at 34 points per game, 11 rebounds per game. It didn't really show on the court how much that was really affecting him. And it's not that he's really numb to it, but it just shows how dedicated he is to serving the city, serving his fans, his teammates. He's this professional. And um, I think the worst part of it probably for him was just that the media would be able to pry into his private life, which he held really preciously. And so I think, I think we can all relate to that aspect of Dirk's personality is that we don't want our private lives pride in the open. And, you know, he knows that he's not fit for that spotlight. And so I think he has the self-awareness that maybe KD should have, you know, I think KD could have really benefited from being in the era where there was no social media because that guy clearly has trouble being in that media spotlight. Um, But for Dirk, you know, for him to be that resilient and to perform to, you know, averaging over 30 points per game, that series, shooting over 50% of field goal. um, Like he, uh, to me, that just showed a lot of endurance, you know, and you talk about, you know, playoff after playoff, season after season being labeled as a failure. You know, for me, I I think in a lot for a lot of Dallas fans, you know, just seeing that Dirk gave us all. I think we were all against the media. We were all having, you know, Dirk's back and just saying that uh, just seeing how much he poured himself into the game for the Mavericks, even though he had every reason to just you know to quit and to give up especially given that disastrous uh, story of surrounding Crystal Taylor his ex fiance.
0: Yeah, so even though Dirk has always had this personality that, you know, he's a goofball, he's never really that serious, um he's super humble, often on and off the court and he he def- definitely dedicates his time off the court, right, and and puts in his work that way. But I would say I didn't really feel the human side of Dirk until that story came out. You know, it it didn't Mm. really humanize himself for me. For me, I, I still viewed him before this. I still viewed him as this seven foot amazing athlete, although he's not athletic in terms of NBA terms, right? He's still in the NBA. Like you still have to be an amazing athlete to get there, an amazing technician at his work. And all that. And again, he's he's a superstar. He's made over 250 million dollars in his life. Let's be honest, like he he's done very well for himself, for his family, for Holger, for generations down the the line, if you will. But it wasn't until that crazy story about his personal life, his ex-fiance, Crystal Taylor, that really just. Oh my gosh! Like this guy is dealing with exactly what I'm dealing with, you know. Like I'm a kid in college dealing with heartbreak, and so is this this guy. This guy's also in his mid twenties, you know, just like all of us. Like we all deal with the same things. He has to deal it all in the spotlight, spotlight, and then in public and things like that. So I I do want to quickly run down some of his accomplishments. Right, he 0607 MVP. You know, finals MVP 2011, when they won it all. It's been to 14 All Star games. I don't know how many All NBA teams, maybe 13, 14 there. Uh, alluded to earlier, he just surpassed Walt Chamberlain in, in total points. So he's number six uh, overall in the history of the NBA. He's number six in scoring. I think he's, I think the only guy that can potentially pass him there is Kevin Durant in the next few years. But he's, mm-hmm. he's much like guaranteed top 10 for at least. A couple generations so so props to dirk there um he is number three all time in games the total amount of games played out of anybody in the nba aba combined he's number three behind parish and kareem he's number three in terms of all-time minutes he's top 10 number nine in field goals made Like all these numbers that he's really accumulated throughout the years, it goes to show you how much work he's put in and how good he is. But also I've always considered longevity as something that really defines greatness. You can always have a Gilbert Arenas who just sets the league on fire for like three or four years, right? All NBA, all-star game, all that kind of stuff. But to do it for 10 plus years To do it for 21 years in Dirk's case really sets him apart. Other stuff, he's top 30 in total rebounds. He's, like I said, top number six in total points. Paul, so I know for you, you actually created a Dirk book. You created a book. I did. um, You know, a compilation of all these articles, all his stats, stories, things like that. Like, what made you... What really inspired you to to make this book?
2: Yeah, it was Grant Land's articles about Dirk. And it came at a time when uh, Dirk was, it was post-2011, and the whole league was just in this mode of appreciating everything that Dirk is. And it's like after 2011, the whole league just let up this huge sigh of relief that Dirk had finally done it. And he immediately was perceived as just this old athlete after that. And so anything that Dirk did, um, on the, on the court, if he, you know, if he's still averaging 20 points per game, it just looked like he was just punking on young guys. And so it, it was just this rare moment, uh, this rare era that I, I, I just didn't see it happening. You know, when, when, when Dirk's career just started that he would ever be appreciated nationwide like this. And so I wanted to capture, you know, Grandland, one of the biggest publications at the time online, how they would appreciate Dirk. And soon they started to just pick apart and just go into detail how Dirk is just still absolutely dominant shooter. And it it kind of it kind of shed a light on how the league was becoming a shooter's league, how uh, a lot of the big men, if you couldn't score uh, from beyond the arc, if you couldn't change the the shape and the angles of the defense, then you couldn't last on the court. But th- here you have a, a guy who's, you know, knees protesting every movement laterally. He was, <laughs> he was still relevant and he was still uh, playing deep into the uh, into the first round of the playoffs, yeah. you know, uh, against the Spurs. And whereas other guys, they they couldn't even last on the court. And so I, I wanted to just detail how how not only was the league appreciating him as as a guy and as a player, but how he was changing the league, and we could see that happen in just the way that players are getting drafted, um, in the ways that. Uh, you know, the league was scouting out players and uh, who, how they would design their lineups around uh, the the archetype that Dirk is. And you saw Channing Frye, you know, he never, he rarely shot threes in college and in his first couple of years, but then you see him on the Suns, and he's, and he's being coveted as a, a key piece for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And uh, this is not possible without Dirk. And if, if somebody, you know, back then, if he, did, if Dirk didn't have the coach of Don Nelson to really believe that he could be the stretch for, and if Dirk himself had believed in, in the media and the expectations of this older version of basketball that he had to bang in the post and that he had to really gain the muscle and that shooting threes is just a weaker form of basketball, then we might not see, uh, you know, Cheney fight might not be seen as a coveted piece for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, and so I just think that you know, just to compile all of that, all the uh, all the national sentiment towards Dirk, I thought it was just important just for us to see how this this simple seven footer um, really changed the game. And now we're seeing the reverberations of all the work that he put in when he, it was two thousand one, and you know, Nelly, Nelly Nelly was having him play as the you know the small ball five.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's really cool. So I earlier I, I listed some of the personal and statistical accolades and 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 things that he's hit. But since you've created this book or you've you've compiled all this information together and, and bound them into a book, what do you think is the most impressive feat?
2: If you know me, you know that I'm a huge fan of uh, Kirk Goldsberry. Uh, he's this uh, he's first started off as a geography professor, and uh, he would look into geospatial uh, analysis and mapping. And uh, he applied that similar principle of mapping onto a basketball court. He created this uh, this shot chart that showed frequency, of shot inefficiency of shot from all the locations on the court. And for me, the thing that I love most about these charges is it shows that Dirk is absolutely terror, is an absolute terror to defend at all the spots that Dirk wants to shoot at. And that means the elbow, that means in the paint, that means a uh, top of the key. Dirk's not much of a corner three shooter because he doesn't find himself in those spots often. But the, the shot that Dirk excels at, the shot that guys cannot guard um, is just this ISO, you know, one legged fade away. And teams know that it's coming. Teams know that the mismatch is coming. And the shot that was once perceived as a, a week out, um, is now perceived as just this absolute unstoppable move, and you have guys like KD and LeBron trying to mimic it, and they can't mimic it to the great efficiency that Dirk was deploying it at. And so, uh, just if if you just look back at, I, I like to Google sometimes Dirk Nowitzki shot chart, uh, 2000, you know, eleven, 2012, 2013, 2014, and you know, red means good and blue means bad. A uh, Dirk shot chart in that elbow area, which is deemed as now a really inefficient shot. Uh, but Dirk made it an incredibly efficient one only because he could do it at that rate. And yeah. so that's that's astounding to me uh, that, you know, now people are seeing it as, you know, uh, just an impossible shot that you can mimic with that gr- that grade of efficiency. I, I'm personally hoping that Chris Porzingis can can do it at that. But to have that as a standard, uh, that's unfair to-
0: so before I we close this uh, I do want to touch on one thing and that's the up and coming superstar rookie that we have Luka Doncic. Uh, we're all very excited. MFFLs all around the world, Mavs Nation, we're all very very excited. With that being said, I would say that it it actually kind of takes away from Dirk's current legacy if you will cuz I in my opinion and I could be wrong, this is just my opinion, but I think the greatness of Luca right now is actually overshadowing what we're gonna lose when Dirk finally does retire. Let's say Luca wasn't around, let's say he never existed and he's not on the Mavericks. We would put all of our effort and all of our energy into this Dirk retirement season, if you will. Um, but because Luca's here, none of I mean, we're still appreciate appreciating Dirk. And everything he's done. But I think Mavs fans are kinda getting entitled in terms of like, oh, we had a great superstar for twenty years. We potentially may have another great superstar in twenty years, exactly like overlapping each other. Like there's no time in between. And I, I don't under I, I don't I'm not sure if Mavs fans really appreciate that. And I I'm not sure if Maz fans really will appreciate Dirk Nowitzki today before he's gone. How do you feel about that?
2: Yeah, for me, I mean, as you know, the few people who do follow me on Twitter, I am a huge fan of Luka Doncic. And uh, I went nuts because when he got, when we made that trade up to to get him, it was like a dream come true. And, uh, but it's true that people need to stop and pause and appreciate Dirk for the guy that he is. And when Harrison Barnes was traded or I mean, me and my and me and my buddy Raymond, uh, we were talking, we were just kind of lamenting how, you know, we, you know, Harrison Barnes was such a good guy off the court and that we were losing him and it, it stunk the way that he left the team. And I think a similar kind of contemplation, a similar kind of reflection is really good just to think about. How much Dirk has given to our franchise, you know, and to really humanize him that he isn't just this uh, superstar cog that we could just place into the Dallas Mavericks and um, and and a new one will just replace him right off the bat. You know, we're super lucky to get Luka Doncic, but Dirk has given just over like two decades worth um, to the franchise and to our, into our city. And so, you know, for me, I, I, I view it that you can appreciate Luca at the same time and lament for Dirk. And, and one thing that I do expect to see, and one thing that I do hope to see in Luca is that he has that similar temperament as Dirk. You know, one thing I'm really hoping in all this time that Luca gets with Dirk is that Dirk imparts upon him how to deal with the media. Dirk imparts on him how he perceives life to be. That you're just putting a basketball through the hoop, and so I'm hoping that Luca, you know, Luca should go through some difficult seasons. I'm hoping he that we don't go through that. I know the league has gone towards a more temperamental, um, you know, timeline where you have to put together this a super team. And if you don't compete within three to four years, then superstars end up leaving. One thing I really hope to see is that, um, is that Luca has a similar temperament as Dirk, is that these losses of seasons, they only make the chase for the title sweeter. And if you get there, it's much more meaningful than simply jumping to a super team. And so, um, you know, for me, I, I don't want to make them mutually exclusive the appreciation of Luca and the loss of Dirk at mutually exclusive but what I hope to see is that Dirk makes this impact on Luca that we'll see hopefully for decades to come And so uh, for me yeah I'm hoping fans can stop and pause and think about that and so that they can because they will have that expectation of Luca and um, and they should hope to see that Dirk is influencing Luca in that way Awesomely put.
0: I would say, um, you know, Dirk was with us for 20 years. The franchise was around before that, and the franchise will be around after him. But really, Dirk put basketball, put Dallas on the basketball map, if you will. Like, if you yeah. go to if you go to Germany, I bet there's so many Dallas Mavs, Dirk Nowitzki jerseys in Germany, all across like halfway around the world. Like, they don't know where Dallas is, right? They didn't know that. Yeah. Or- green and blue and white uh, you know in the 80s we had Harper and Rolando Blackman Tarpley 90s we had triple J's like there were a lot there were like these you know these spots or these flashes where maybe maybe this franchise was going to turn a corner but it never did until we made that trade for Dirk Nowitzki and there are a lot of similarities right draft day trade for Dirk draft day trade for Luka both from the League. They're both teenagers that came in and you're right. I hope I hope that Luca just takes what Dirk built, hopefully, you know, reaches what Dirk uh, accomplished. We'll see. I just I just want us to really take a second, take a moment and really appreciate what Dirk has done, not only for Dallas and Texas and and, and basketball in and Europe, but just what he's done off the court
2: as well. Yeah, at night I when, when Tino falls asleep. I like to pull up old YouTube videos of Dirk and you see guys like Caron Butler play with him. You see, you see weird guys like Amari Stoudemire, uh, Keith Van Horn. Uh, you have Adrian Griffin in there, uh, Brandon Haywood. Uh, you even have like Tim Hardaway himself. Uh, there's Tim Hardaway senior, as I would call him, or Howard Isley, uh, Juwan Howard. You have a bunch of weird guys that play with Dirk. And what's awesome to see is that Dirk has stayed consistent through all those new faces that are coming through the door. And so, um, you know, if you're looking at people's careers, like, you know, maybe Russell Westbrook might be able to say something like that, uh, a similar narrative where he's seen a lot of guys come in and come out, you know, uh, if he still stays loyal to OKC, we'll see if. That changes, but it's it's pretty rare for players to say that they're able to just stick with one franchise. I know it's not completely up to them, uh, because franchises can choose to trade players as as they want. But a player of Dirk's caliber, there's plenty of those out there in the NBA, and uh, for Dirk to remain that consistent, for Dirk to remain in the same place and try to build something real. Um, that is gonna be a story of old. And I'm hoping that Luca can bring that back. And I, I know it's an uphill battle, but for sure, like you said, it's important to remember that there was a guy who did do that. Um and that is a template for success. It's possible. And so I'm hoping more players can, you know, younger players can see that. And I'm hoping they see that in Luca now.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you for your time. Um, let's enjoy these last couple of weeks of Dirk. Hopefully you can make it down on the ninth and come join me at his last home game in Dallas. We'll talk about that offline, but um, thank you again, Paul, and we'll talk to you
2: soon. All right. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay. Our next guest today is Michael Chang. He is a huge Dallas Mavs fan, huge Dirk fan particularly. Uh, but before we get into that, Michael, we're about to play basketball. We only have 20 minutes left. Let's get a little bit into, I guess, your, your background. Uh, introduce who
4: you are and what you do and things like that. I'll be saying. My name is Michael Chang uh, I work for Cisco um, I've been there for about three years. I went to uh, UTD for both my undergraduate and my MBA and uh, Huge mass fan. I, I, I was born in Hong Kong, uh, but I grew up here in Dallas and so um, I've always been a you know mass fan first probably a Cowboys fan second And Stars and Rangers is pretty close. I'd probably say Stars right now. Yeah, you are definitely Dallas through and through,
0: arguably even more than me, um, because I went off uh, out of state for college. But
4: what is your first memory of Dirk or the Mavericks? I actually remember the press conference. I was... dang 99? Yeah, like 99, so I was like... 15 years old or something like that. Honestly, I remember the butt cut and uh, the earrings and stuff uh, The most out of all that just you know, I I think everybody was like who the hell is this guy? Um, I know we traded, you know, like tractor trailer for him or whatever, but I mean nobody knew who this guy was at all So I think everybody was like no one knew how to pronounce his name you know and as a you know as a kid growing up playing at that time that wasn't anybody you'd be like, oh, yeah, awesome, we got, you know, Dirk. Like, you were all focused—everybody was focused on, like, Jordan, right, at that time. So um, nobody really cared, and and none of us really cared, actually. It was like a blip. Yeah,
0: I, I kind of vaguely remember the, the press conference, but just a little more background. So it was Pat Garrity and Robert Tractor-Trailer for Dirk. Um, it was actually the Bucks who drafted Dirk, and we traded up for him. But everyone knew it was— Nelly's guy, Donnie's guy, they had gone to Europe a couple times. Dirk really busted on the scene World America's FIBA game where he just torched all these NBA players and Charles Barkley caught wind and tried to get him to Auburn and all that kind of stuff. But little, little did we know he was going to be the superstar. And he's done so much for the city, for the franchise, for basketball as a whole, for Cuban, and also like... Just like notoriety, right? Like The NBA now is so popular in Germany. If you go to Germany, I bet there's all these Dirk Nowitzki jerseys, and they kind of know where Dallas is now, whereas before there there would be no clue. They would have no clue where Texas is or Dallas is or any of that. I mean, at the end of the day, we are still a football city. What do you think is Dirk's biggest influence out of all of that?
4: Uh, I mean, I, I think you see it in the whole Doncic situation, right? I think, um, you know, when he... Got drafted here. There were so many other people we could have taken, right? Trey Young. Um, I mean, there are just so many other good draft picks, and you can see them this year. They're all pretty good. But it kind of gives me the chills because you see a lot of, you know, the same kind of timeline. I mean, obviously Doncic is a million times better than Dirk was in his rookie year. But you kind of see like, wow, like what if Doncic is the next Dirk for the next twenty-one years? Like, how lucky would we be to just, you know? Pretty close to back to back, have something like that, and, and you know now you see like the other day there was a Miami Miami game where two thousand Slovenian fans flew over to Miami That's cool. and they stayed after the game and he came over you know came out and and said hi to all the fans and it was there and it's like kind of the same thing like you know you're saying you know we put Dallas uh, on the map for all these German people. And we're doing the same thing with Slovenia and and Europe in general. So um, it kind of gives me the chills. There's a lot of uh, synergy there. Yeah, so spoiler alert. I'm actually going to
0: ask this question to most of the guys on the podcast and girl on the podcast. But you mentioned Luka Doncic, rookie phenom. He had an amazing EuroLeague career, youngest ever MVP. He comes over, kind of set the league on fire. With that being said... Is the emergence of Luka Doncic and how amazing he's been kind of taking away from our appreciation
4: or really our farewell tour, in quotes, of Dirk Nowitzki? You know, it's funny you say that, but I think for Dirk, like, he would never want a farewell tour. I I think, you know, the, the biggest thing for Dirk is, and I'll talk about my three biggest things about Dirk later, but... You know he doesn't want anything yeah, you like have, you have a list i have a list beautiful i have three things that he's taught me because i, I really thought about this um but you know like like i said he, he wouldn't want a farewell tour he wouldn't want to do the kobe and the wade thing where he goes and you know everybody knows he's he's giving his farewell and he's swapping jersey he's not that kind of guy mm-hmm. um and that's why we love him is because he's not into all that other crap he's into basketball he loves basketball he loves his teammates and he loves dallas um most importantly so before we get into your three main bullet points there how did you prep for this podcast uh, i actually watched the Mavs championship video once oh, nice uh that i mean it's pretty amazing like he you know it's been you know eight nine years now but when you go back and watch all the different moments and all the different teams that we beat like Durant and you know Westbrook and Harden on a team then you got Kobe mm-hmm. I mean there's just so many you know obviously the super team but you know there's just so many different things that had to go right and so many of these crazy games that you know I remember the Portland game you know like you thought oh this is, we're done like there's no way after Yeah there that. was
0: a point in that series this is a first round series against Portland where Brandon Roy just goes off yeah. and we on thought it was another first, no round, yeah,
4: another first round loss for the Mavs. Yeah it was like, you know, so disappointing. I was like, this is going to kill the soul of the team. But we came back from that. And, and you know, there's just so many cool moments. You got to go back and watch it every once in a while just to you get goosebumps. And I get goosebumps right now just thinking about it. You have a little one, Jordan. How old is he now?
0: He's uh, going to be three in a couple months. Three. So let's say when he's 13, he's super into basketball. Let's say this is Luca peak of his powers. <laughs> But he wants to ask you about Dirk Nowitzki and what was it like growing up in Dirk's prime? What would you tell him in terms of like lessons that you can teach Jordan or things that are
4: memorable? So my three points um, really leads right into that. And it's kind of funny. It's, I, I really thought about how he changed my life and lessons that I learned from him. Um, the first one is he actually taught me to be a better father. Hmm. which is kind of funny, right? It's like a basketball player. You know, You know, I, I'm not really into the whole, like, athlete or celebrity as a role model, but he's probably the only one um, that I, I really think... And, and what I learned most from him on that aspect is, you know, like, all through these 21 years, um, I felt like I I didn't take in the moments as much as I should have. You're in the moment, you know, we go to the playoffs for, you know, 10 years straight there's so many things that happened and we just kind of like, we're like, yeah, you know, like we know it's going to happen. You know, we, we didn't think we were ever going to win. And I didn't take time to just appreciate the greatness and the things that happened throughout those 10, um, 10 playoff seasons. And obviously the 21 years he played. And, you know, I remember going to the Phoenix game where he scored 50 points. Mm-hmm. Um, and that still resonates with me. I just wish I, I would have taken more time to go to the games and just watch instead of being so invested in, like... I hated going to a game and losing, and so I, I didn't go to any of the playoff games um, because it, it just sucks walk, walking out of the stadium, um, getting that defeat, but I should have more thought about what if we won and that awesome feeling of celebrating with 20,000 people, right? And and that just kind of brings me into you know into Jordan. Um, you know. So now, like, he's two and a half, you know, or almost three. I take in a lot of those moments, and I take time to just think about like, oh, you know, like we're just sitting out here at the Arboretum or whatever um, and we're just taking time together and it's just so awesome and I, and I take a lot of more, more of those moments in to just enjoy, not look at my phone, you know, not even take pictures because, you know, we're so obsessed with taking pictures sometimes that we don't even enjoy the moment and we miss everything because we're looking through our phones. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first point. Second point, we kind of touched on it earlier, is humility. Um, if you look at Dirk, you know he laughs at himself all the time. Goofball. Um, he's he's a goofball. And the cool thing about him is, like, he's this, you know, he, he came over when he was, like, 18 or whatever from Germany, goofy kid, you know, had never been to America before, but he was always himself. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool. There was a Chris Humphreys article that I read in the Tribute, uh, the Players Tribune, uh, just the other day. And one of the stories he brought up was about Dirk. He actually talked about Dirk a lot in that And he was, like, talking about how Dirk would go around and call people burgers. And it was, like, you know, the craziest thing, like, you know, what the heck is a burger? But that's kind of like his thing for, like, oh, you goofball, you know? Like, he'd call people burgers. (laughs) And, like, everybody's like, what? But, you know, over time, like, people got it, and they just took it. And it's like, that's Dirk's thing, right? And so he never, like, changed himself. He was always true to himself. He's always genuine. He's never, you know, done the Kyrie thing this year where... He talks about his teammates being immature. Think about all the teams that he's been in. You Man, know, you're, since you're throwing shots at everybody hey, this time. <laughs> in the last, you know, nine years, uh, you know, we haven't had very good teams, and you know, a lot of these superstars, you see them, they throw people under the bus. They're trying mm-hmm. to change teams. They're using power moves to to kind of like get to the build these super teams and stuff. And he's never done any of that. Like mm-hmm. he's here. He's, he's definitely had the opportunity. Oh, absolutely! And he's decided to be to stay a lifer, stay loyal to Dallas. Sometimes to a fault, right? Yep. Um, but he did get his one ring. And, and the last thing is, um, everything happens for a reason, you know. And I'm religious, obviously. So God, to me, it's God's plan, right? If you look at Dirk's career, obviously, 2006 was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, look at his relationship. With that weird chick, where Crystal Taylor, yeah, she was, you know, like a con artist and all that kind of stuff. He's been through all this stuff, but you know, and then the thing at Oracle, um, there that was recent, I remember reading about that, where uh, you know, he threw the chair at the wall and still there, and he talks about it, and he's like, Yeah, it was obviously a difficult time in my life, but it made me who I am today, and that that was so cool to me because you know, ultimately, he won in 2011. Now he has a beautiful wife and i think like three beautiful kids mm-hmm. um you know he's a hall of famer and you know the thing that to me is like look he keeps working hard you know he just keeps on moving forward things happen that suck in your life and you just keep moving forward and eventually good things will happen and uh, And you see that in his career and and all the things that he does in dallas and everything and all that stuff um doesn't matter in the end right i mean it's basketball but there's so many other things that he does in the city that um is really cool and really good so it's just cool to see that you know over 21 years when you reflect on it going through the time you don't think about that because everything just happens yeah so let's look back a
0: little bit on those 21 years can you think of a, a memory that really sticks out to you that not many people know about or not many people think about you know everyone thinks about you know the the 50 point game against the suns or the the duel with T Mac when I think he dropped 53. Yeah. The 2011 run was amazing.
4: But was there any, any like just random moment that really sticks out to you? Yeah, so I actually met Dirk one time. There was a uh, a friend of mine called me up and he had some sort of like ticket that he bought from Kroger or something and it enabled us to go in, wow. um, tour the locker room, and then meet with Dirk at the end and get some autographs. Um, and so I had like five minutes with him and I would say, like... Did you record the conversation? I didn't. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, you weren't allowed to do any of that. We took pictures, um, and he, you know, I have a autographed jersey and ball at my house. Wow. Um, but, you know, just so... I was, like, the last person, and so he gave me, like, five minutes and just talked to him. Like, this was after we won, and I was like, hey, I just had my son, and, you know, I got him a little Mavs, you know, onesie, and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, that's awesome. You know, good thing you didn't get him a LeBron one. Um, you know, he was just, like... He's exactly how you would think he is. Like, he's he, he's a goofball, and he's, like, so easy to talk to. And so it's it was cool to me to, like, see that and, and meet him. And actually, you know, he is the way you think he is, you know. Um, I actually ran into Finley uh, in Vegas one time. And he Finley was, like, one of my favorite players growing up, right? Same and here. all I wanted was, like, hey, Finn, you know, um, Can not get a quick picture or something? And he was, like, such a douchebag about oh, it. Oh, no. Finley, I hope you don't hear this. Yeah. I was just like, dang, you know, like, it broke my heart, man. Like, it was like, man, I love Finley. And I was like, I know, maybe it's just late or whatever, you know. But it was like, that just, the way he did it was just like, uh, Yeah, man. it was an impression for right. sure. Right, it was just like, man. It's funny that you bring up Michael Finley. He also
0: was one of my favorite players. I mean, it was the Iron Man back in the day. Yeah. Played. 40 minutes a night, 82 games every year, even for a bad team. Um, And he currently right now works for the Mavs in some type of, you know, scouting capacity, GM capacity. Um, But it seems like for all intents and purposes, this is most likely Dirk's last year. We don't know for sure. He might come back for year 22. But let's just say he retires this year. How would you want the Mavs to kind of usher him into the next you know stage of his life stage stage of his professional career do you want him to work with the Mavs do something else what do you think
4: um I definitely want him to stick around uh you know like Finley's always around um I don't think he's going to be at the games like Finley is I mean he's Finley's at like every single game I think he's going to take time to spend time with his wife and his kids he's got like three little kids like under five um, but, you know, some of the things that you don't hear about that he does a lot is, like, he works with, like, the Children's Hospital um, with a lot of these kids that are going through cancer and stuff like that. I mean, there's, like, literally barely any sports, you know, coverage on that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. he does so much of that kind of stuff that he doesn't want media exposure. You're not going to see him in any of the videos and stuff, but he's always there. Um, I have friends that work at the hospital that talk about it. and oh, wow. um, Which is really cool, you know. And I think he'll do a lot more of that kind of stuff, like ambassador um, but not necessarily, you know, be the like face. front front office type of guy. Right. Okay. A
0: couple more questions before we close out. The first one here, Dirk obviously is a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer, the greatest Maverick of all time, arguably a top 25 NBA player of all time. I have him just outside, but we can talk about that with a different conversation. But out of all those accomplishments and looking back through all the years including the 06 failure the 2011 um, you know triumph when do you when did you think like when did you feel that oh my gosh like we have a superstar like what point in history where you're like okay Dirk is a legit top five top 10 guy right now all first team all NBA guy we could build around this guy that's a tough question because people forget like Although Dirk has had amazing years individually, yeah, we've always kind of fell short yeah. in the playoffs, right? Whether it's the first round or second, whether it's against Nash or Melo or Chris Paul, the freaking Spurs, whoever it was, Dirk kind of like, you know, fell short. So yeah. when did you in your head was like, okay, with that being said, I think next year's the, the year. Like when were you
4: confident? I don't think I ever was. <laughs> that That's, you know, like, I don't know if it's the team around him or if just we could just never get over that hump. And so that was part of the, you know, like, I didn't want to go to the playoff games because you're scared of that because it's like, man, in the back of your head, you're just like, they're going to choke. 2006 was like the ultimate, you know, like you got yourself too high, you know, like 10 minutes left and, and that game three, I still remember it, you know, like we're up by whatever um, you know, like fifteen points or something. Mm-hmm. and then you know, they come back and win, and that was just like a gut. and it's like, oh, we can't lose the next three. And then we did. And that just kind of like killed it for me. And it wasn't until like honestly, like the the championship run, like where I that in my head, what's really stuck is that move he did on Chris Bosch mm-hmm. went to his left, laid it up mm-hmm. off a basket, and like, you know he had a broken finger or whatever he had. Um, it wasn't until that was that when I was like, holy crap, we might actually like win this like, you know even though because you know, like there were so many good games during those all those different playoff series sometimes you're kind of like when's the luck gonna run out Because right? it takes a lot of luck to win a championship sure. yeah, Think sure. about Ray Allen, right that shot, you know with the heat and all that kind of stuff There's a lot of that kind of stuff that happens and it's like is this luck gonna run out and And you're just kind of waiting for that as a fan of you know, Dallas like we choke so much. Yeah And so many, you know, Cowboys, Rangers, I mean, there's just, like, one strike away, you know, like, all that. Just, it's always in you. It's like, man, it's hard to, you keep yourself guarded because of that. That's a good way to put it. Where were you during
0: Game 6 2011 Finals? I was at home with uh, my now wife. Yeah. Um,
4: So it's just y'all two in the dark watching it. It was just us two. I couldn't, I couldn't bear to be, like anywhere if we lost just the, the defeat you know so how did you how did you react when you you knew that we were gonna win like what we was... were literally like saying i almost cried yeah. i probably cried a little bit like I, I now that i think about it i'm sure i teared up or i had some tears um it's funny it's actually my twitter picture still my wife and i took a picture on the couch it was just the two of us wearing our jerseys at home and then but, you probably dropped like a few hundred dollars on nike oh yeah I bought like every (laughs) single thing
0: I still have it it's like and then you went to the parade as well right oh yeah cool definitely took off work well was there anything else you wanted to say before we close
4: no I mean just thanks for having me on Um, I'm a huge Dallas fan so if there's any uh, other podcasts you want me to talk about or whatever I'd be happy to join but uh, I love Dirk and uh, I think uh, I can't wait to go to this game coming up on the 9th I'll be there you'll be there I think a lot of our friends are going to be there yeah um, it's going to be a riot, and Cuban said there's going to be a big, you know, thing afterwards. So thanks for having me.
0: All right, guys, let's welcome our next guest to the podcast, Jonathan. I think David. I'm not sure. Konky Wang. How are you doing?
5: I'm doing good. You can you can call me by any of those names. I don't I don't mind. What does your mom call you? Kong, Kong Kong. Sometimes, what? but mostly Kong. What do your friends call you? Konky Wang wanger what? david dk <laughs> what does your boss call you Peon? i don't know it's that. that's not important david they depends on their mood it's like when they call me david i know i'm in trouble if they call me conky it's probably they're probably happy with me that day Wait, so, so it's kind of nice kind of nice where does jonathan come in then nowhere ever not uh, a single person has ever called me jonathan in my life it's just uh <laughs> i should get that changed honestly
0: yeah, you probably should. So, outside of, I mean, getting the name right, let's go into a little bit about yourself. Briefly talk about like your background, where you're
5: from, what you're doing. Sure. Uh, so, I am uh, born and bred in Plano, Texas, part of the glorious Dallas metroplex, and uh, I'm currently actually in San Francisco, uh, in in that tech world. Just just got a job offer, actually. Uh, Going to be joining the big uh g g man go over at google joining their team so yes thank me you, that's, a, you a, that's me giving you a round of applause i hear it it's a grueling process let me tell you they uh they're not fun <laughs> been a dallas sports fan since since before i can remember uh mavericks rangers cowboys stars didn't really follow fc dallas much um but uh yeah i'm a i'm a, I'm a dallas sports fan all the way Uh, my my dad took me to Rangers games and Mavs games growing up. And uh, I can't remember a time when Dallas teams weren't my team.
0: Fast forward to 2019. Just, I have to ask that you're not a Warriors, Sharks, Giants, Oakland Raiders, 49ers fan, are you?
5: No, 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 no. And no, I'm a I'm constantly annoyed by the number of Warriors fans out there. Actually, it's been like a, a, a two-fold terrible situation. I'm surrounded by bandwagon fans in the Bay Area. And then the company I worked for the last two years was all Boston people. So then I had Red Sox, Celtics, and Patriots fans in my year. Oh, so, wow. that is That is literally the worst of both worlds. And and they're all winning. You know what I mean? They're all winning a lot of things, too. So I had to actually deal with not just having, you know, annoying fans, but they're winning. And and my teams aren't. So it's, it's been, been a it's been a rough couple of years.
0: Yeah, it changed to in twenty nineteen stars, twenty twenty Dallas Cowboys, twenty twenty one Mavericks.
5: Oh, the Trifecta's coming.
0: I feel yeah, it. me. Title Town. All right. Reason for the podcast. Dirk effing Nowitzki. Give me your two minute spiel on who he is and what he's meant to you.
5: Dirk Novitsky, man, he has been he's my sports hero. He he is everything that a sports icon is supposed to be for me. I I'm, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. I, I can't, I, I can't imagine what like watching any sports, not just, not just basketball, just watching sports without Dirk playing. I remember, I remember Mavericks basketball before Dirk and, uh, actually, you know, Michael Finley was my favorite player before, and I, I, still, I still love him. But, uh, when Dirk entered the picture, he kind of brought this new era of, uh, you know, success class and, and, uh, just genuine good goodness to not only Dallas sports, but I feel like the NBA as a whole, or really, really the sports realm as a whole. So Dirk has been Dirk has been this constant string in my life since the '90s, and uh, I can't believe he's can't believe he's, saying, he's he's saying goodbye to the game soon.
0: Twenty one years. Do you feel that this is legitimately his last year?
5: I really don't want it to be, I keep uh, maybe, maybe part of it is because I, I can't be at the game that, that I know you are going to. And that infuriates me and makes me really sad, but uh, I I don't want it. And if anything, I just just to see him kind of lead the charge on the new era of Maverick's greatness, you know, like just, just that one year of transition where KP's finally playing and Lucas continue to hit his stride. To have Dirk at the home of that would be amazing. So, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything because I'm I'm holding on to hope that he might play one more year, but uh, we'll have to see.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm I'm sure our listeners have caught wind or kind of understand what the theme is of this podcast is about Dirk Nowitzki, and I'm only interviewing basically Dallas Mavericks fans or really Dirk fans specifically. If you had one thing to to say, I guess, to the national fans, to the people who don't really follow the Mavericks day-to-day or haven't really followed Dirk throughout his career, what would you tell them? Like, what would you tell them that is the most, you know, influential or positive thing that Dirk can really, you know, provide
5: them? Yeah, this this might be a, I don't know if this is kind of the same vein or not from some of the other people who have been on the show already, but... I just think about how how easy it's been to be a Dirk fan the entire ta- the entire time his entire career. Like not only is he an amazing player and uh amazing part of the team, he's never made it hard for us. No scandals, no attitude problems, no, you know, nothing. The, the, you know, in a world where we're facing with or we've seen athletes and you know other people of influence take advantage of those around them. I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure people remember this, but Dirk was the one that got taken advantage of. And he dealt that whole situation with humility and grace. Like I have never had to question whether I wanted to cheer for Dirk or not. It's, it's easy. He is in my opinion, the most stand up celebrity athlete icon, whatever you call it. So, you know, all you other fans in the world out there, just, just know that, you know, there are people who can you know embody respect and 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 playing the game the right way and also be excellent and be the best of their craft that i think that's what dirk is to the sport world someone who's done it right the entire way from beginning to end
0: i agree with you 100% the first few minutes here you know with between our conversation we really just focused on who he is as a person right what yeah. he's off the court and just the stand up guy like you said that he is Let's dive deeper into what made Dirk Nowitzki so good. I mean, at the end of the day, he's a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. He's going to be the greatest Maverick of all time. He's uh, arguably, you know, top 20, top 30 basketball player of all time, maybe top two or three power forward of all time, um, arguably greatest European basketball player of all time. But what really made him so good? I'm, I mean,
5: like He's tall. He can shoot. You know, I think people 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 look at Dirk and I think I think, you know, when they look at his career as a whole, it's oh yeah, he was, you know, one of the first big guys who was a prolific three point shooter. But, you know, any of us who watched him from the get-go remembers when he, you know, had a lot more speed and athleticism when he was the Duncan Deutschman, right? Like he when he started his career, he had a he had a different skill set. So I think what really set him apart, and probably what sets a lot of the true long-time stars that we know is he added to his repertoire every year. His game changed a lot over the years. I don't think people uh, recognize enough uh, what he added. So, I mean, you look at, or I think, I think about two, I mean, obviously 2011, the finals run, the number of kind of tricks that he pulled out of his bag to dismantle each of the opponents that we had was, was crazy. And he, and he wasn't, he wasn't just, you know, he he doesn't just have one, move. he's not not just doing his one legged fadeaway every chance he gets. He knows how to read his defenders. He he picked people apart. You know that that run between two thousand seven two thousand ten when he was arguably the best player in the world. He wasn't just scoring in high amounts. He was dismantling uh, dismantling defenses by by reading them and and you know pulling out his bag of tricks every time. So yeah, I, I think I think what sets him apart is that he went to work every day. He's I mean you hear testimony from every one of his teammates that he's always been the first person into the gym, he's the last person out. He's working on his craft when nobody else is watching. He's not talking about it. He just goes to work, puts in his hours, and and then dominates you on the court.
0: The fact that he adds something to his game every summer, I think that gets lost a lot in today's NBA. Maybe because it's, you know, like the social media age, our attention span is, is a lot shorter. But we always grade the hype instantly. And what I mean by that is... Let's take Zion Williamson, for example. He's an amazing basketball player, by far the best college basketball player this year, and arguably probably since Anthony Davis, 2010. So basically a decade, right? Like once in a 10-year uh player, and he's gonna come into the NBA, first overall pick. But we're gonna we're gonna grade him instantly. Let's say he has a great rookie season and then a down second year season. People are just going to, you know, call him not not essentially a bust, but basically how people are grading Jason Tatum now, like a finality to it. Whereas in the, in the past, people were a lot more patient. Fans were a lot more patient. They can see a player develop and grow. And, you know, that instant grading of someone didn't occur back then. And it allowed Dirk to really hone his skills allow Dirk to go back to Germany every summer, work out with Holger and things like that. Um, so I, I do agree with you there. As far as that 2011 NBA championship run, outside of actually winning it, winning what was like the most surprising thing that happened to you? Like, whether it's a moment, a specific play, maybe a game. Like, Can you look back and kind of reflect back on 2011 and was like, whoa, did that really just happen?
5: Yeah, it's so a funny story. Actually, I don't think you know this. I don't think most of my friends actually know this. During the majority of that playoff run, I was actually in China on a on a trip with my church, doing a you know helping out with a college there. So I caught most of these games in my hotel room, you know, in the wee hours of the morning when I should be sleeping and getting ready for the re- for the for the rest of the trip. I was staying up and, and watching these games because I had to follow every game you know as much as I could. Uh, and I just remember, you know, every, every time I'm, I'm, you know, getting back home from the, from whatever we were doing and and turning in or tuning in, hoping, you know, not, not sure what the score is going to be. And always just seeing the Mavs and seeing Dirk pull these ridiculous comebacks. I, that's my most lasting memory from that, that, that entire series is that it felt like we came back. In every game, it's not like we came out strong and just had a strong showing every game. We were always down in these series, and we came back. Except for the Lakers, we swept them out the door. So, you know, screw the Lakers. But yeah, I, I think that that's what really showed me the resilience. Just this real drive was that Dirk was not going to let our team lose, even when we're down twenty, thirty points in these games. But you know, all that aside, I think what I remember is I got back. I got back to the states. I think, I think, I think right before game six of the finals wow talk about timing i didn't watch that game with anybody i literally watched that game in darkness in the living room by myself <laughs> i don't know i was probably jet lagged I, I didn't have time to plan something and i i, I remember when when dirk you know w- when we sealed the deal the the clock goes to zero dirk runs to the locker room you know, it's again it's it's dark here, the, the TV is so bright, it's just shining on me. And I just remember just throwing my hands in the air and I I felt the tears coming down my face too. I feel like the weight that Dirk felt come off his shoulders, he took that weight off of every Dallas Mavs fan's shoulders as well. I think we all felt it that night. Like this yeah. you know, it wasn't just a victory, it was it was everything for us. It it's it, it, it has meant everything. It's that one moment where not just Dirk's legacy, but the map's legacy actually is cemented in history now. Everybody's going to remember that run forever.
0: Yeah, those like those couple minutes right after it happened, it it was almost a blur. Like looking back on it, it was such a surreal feeling because we were all just in disbelief, right? Like, yeah, did that? Did we really just beat LeBron James and D Wade and Chris Bosh and company? Did we really? <laughs>
5: those three guys not yep. just those three guys but peak those three
0: guys but not only that but did we did dark really just raise the trophy did is this happening <sighs> like I I just looked back on it I couldn't believe it I remember while all of it was happening I just like took out my wallet took out my credit card and just bought any championship gear any swag <laughs> on, on nike com. and 2011 was nuts. I definitely drove up the next. I think two or three days after that, so I can go to the parade. Were you there for the parade? I was not. I was at work, but I,
5: I watched it. Oh. I know.
0: I mean, you got back in time in, in the states, like perfect timing. So that was good.
5: It was. Uh, it was incredible.
0: So you were you in Dallas working,
5: or where were you working at this time? I was in Dallas. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was actually yeah, just graduated that year. So uh, yeah, just starting my first job.
1: Oh, this
0: was when you were commuting.
5: Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. So, how did you personally celebrate championship? That's a really good question, actually. I, uh, it felt like a personal thing for me. You know, I, 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 I didn't. Again, that that night especially, there was nobody around me. I'm pretty sure my parents were sleeping at that time. Also, I was I was home alone, so I celebrated in silence. I think for me, it was just this is this is what always should have been. Dirk earned it in 2006. We all know the story there. And he finally, you know, scratched, scratched and clawed his way back to get another chance in 2011. I, I celebrated in silence, man. I just, the world felt right. And, and I think that was, that was what was enough for me.
0: I'm going to go at this at a different angle. Can you uh, describe or recollect your favorite, most memorable moment, pre-2011 banner-raising and your favorite moment post 2011?
5: You know, this is this might be a little a little hokey, but you know, my my the first Magic game I actually went to live was was when Dirk was already playing, and I was I don't know I was a, a teenager, and my dad took me. I I remember you know my first experience with like the electricity of 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 the arena itself, and and seeing Dirk for the first time play live, and uh, it, it's like it was I think I think that was actually the moment that I became like a real master. I, I can't remember the year but it was just seeing Dirk play live. I remember not knowing much about what was going on in the game, but uh, just feeling like I needed to stand up and shout as loud as I could, whatever happened. Uh, And uh, yeah, I I think uh, uh, it's not, it's not super clear memory. I just, you know, a lot of it was just the emotion of of falling in love with with the Mavs team. And uh, that's like this one memory I have just my dad, some, you know, his business colleague and me and some other kid that I didn't know, at this game, and I just remember I I, I couldn't sit down, and I, I, I you know I I loved every minute of it. And that was
0: early on in his career, right? So yeah, was yeah. There, Nash was there. Done exactly. Very nice. And then what's what's been your favorite memory since? Um, it's crazy to think about, but it's already been eight years since we yeah. since we beat the Heat in 2011. So in these eight years that have passed by, what's what's really the thing that really imprinted
5: in your memory the most i mean you know i'll be honest i i was able to go to uh dirk's last game at oracle uh got got lucky enough to get some some tickets there and um you know i, I uh you know we're, we're born and bred dallas fans so we know how much we love dirk it really did not hit me how much the world loves and appreciates Dirk until I saw Warriors fans, you know, <laughs> there are probably some legitimate Warriors fans in there, but but just to see that entire arena applaud him, you know, amidst cheering for their own team, uh, that, that was kind of a surreal experience for me. You know, we, we cheer, you, you cheer against the other team. That's just what you do. Right. Yeah. But when you have somebody like Dirk who transcends the barriers of, you know, competition and rivalry, uh, man, the, the crowd really appreciated him. And, uh, Nash was there at that game too. And, and, uh, you know, he, he gave Dirk a shout out and I, I swear every, every time, every time Dirk hit a bucket and he hit a lot of buckets that game, by the way, I just, I want to cry. I just, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It, it felt like, it felt like Dirk had a resurgence, it felt like he was young again. Um, but it, it was crazy. It was, it was hearing the, the warriors fans, cheer for their team every time they did something, right? Every time one of their five all-starts did something. But then every time Dirk made a bucket, the entire the entire arena, you know, went up in a, a crazy fanfare too. And that was, uh, yeah, that was something. Uh, yep. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to forget that.
0: That was a very cool moment. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but actually went to upwards of like 40 or 50 games uh, at Oracle back in 05 or 07. <laughs> Um, right. yeah, it's cause, uh, a really good friend of mine in college, uh, his family has season tickets and sometimes if his mom couldn't go, then he would take me. So I went to a ton of games and I would say that Warriors fans are actually really knowledgeable about the game. This yep. is, yeah, this is pre-Steph Curry. This is, <laughs> this is like Baron Davis, Stephen Jackson, Al Harrington, Monte Ellis days, Andres Beadrens, like those guys. Beatrens, yes. Knew Michael Petris. They knew when to cheer. They knew when to, you know, encourage their guys. They knew when to not cheer. Things like that. They were they were very knowledgeable. And I'm sure it's been a lot more bandwagon recently and a lot more corporate. But that being said though, that was a really cool moment. And that's the game where Mavs
5: Mavs beat them by like forty points, right? It was crazy. Uh, it, was, it was a thirty five point womp, and uh yeah step step wasn't playing but but still, I mean, we shut Katie down, Luke had a triple double, dirk had twenty one it was you know amidst the season where I am desperately hoping we can tank, it was worth it, it was worth every minute, I loved it I, st- I stayed until the end, yep,
0: that's true. There are a couple wins, even when you want your team to tank, there are a couple wins that are worth worth it, okay, one final question, Conky. You and Sona, how long have you guys been married?
5: <laughs> We've been married a year and three months. Just over almost three months. Yeah. A year and three months.
0: Over, under, on a weekly basis. How often do you guys get asked about like having a baby or starting a family or having a kid? Over, under, three and a half times.
5: Ooh, on a weekly basis. Uh, it's it's under, it's under on a weekly basis, but uh, it's getting up there.
0: I kind of uh, ruined my segue. But anyways, let's just say you guys uh, are going to have a child soon. Let's mm-hmm. should say a couple of years. Sure. Uh, you know, when he or she is 15 you years see
5: old. I'm, you see how I'm moving back to Dallas? Okay, no, no. What, what, what's your question?
0: When he or she is 15 years old and he or she is falling in love with the sport, At that time, who knows, maybe Luca's at the peak of his powers and we're about to (laughs) go through all these, uh, you know, like failures and first round losses before we finally win one. Who knows? Who knows? Right. But let's just say she asks you, Dad, like, what was it like growing up and following Dirk Nowitzki his entire career throughout his prime, throughout his twilight? What was it like? And what lesson did you pick up from
5: Dirk that you can like pass on to Luca? Dang. This will be my daughter, Dirkina. Oh, that's a terrible name. I'm just kidding. That's a terrible name. <laughs> uh, I hope Sana didn't approve of that name. <laughs> the first one's mine. I'm just kidding. Um, You know, I, I would, I would want, I would want that kid to know that, uh, you know, Dirk, Dirk, Dirk makes me proud to be a Mavs fan. Like, We cheer for sports, you know, sports, sports is sports. And, uh, you know, I don't know if there's going to be critics for this, but I'm very much a person who's learned that, you know, I can't, I'm not going to let sports dictate my, my mood, I guess, or, you know, I'm not going to let it take over my life in a way where it becomes the most important thing, but it's a big part of our lives. Right. And I think, uh, what Dirk helped me understand is, is what it feels like to actually be you know, proud of your team to stand for something that, you know, is, is bigger than the sport itself to stand for character and, uh, and loyalty, you know, it's a huge part of who Dirk is too. He's someone who stayed with this team through some tough times, you know, and he, and he really stuck it out. Yeah. He's someone who, who never, he never pointed the finger. He always made sure that if there was anything more that he could do for the team, anything more that he could do to improve himself, He was going to do that first and, and trust that the rest of it would work out if he, if he put in his time. So I hope that's what he teaches to Luca too, or, you know, even in these last games or, you know, the years that he has left, you know, I'm sure he'll be with the Mavs organization for many years to come. um, That he teaches Luca, you know, it's not about just what, it's not just about winning. It's, it's about what you bring to those around you. Dirk has been someone who's made everybody around him better from day one. And uh, if he can pass even just a little bit of that to the rest of the team, to Luca and KP, I mean, we're going to have a championship team again very soon and and one that does it the right way.
0: Greatly put. Um, I agree with you, obviously. And the buzzwords are the themes out of everybody, out of everyone's mouths when they talk about Dirk Nowitzki, you know, character, stand-up guy, selfless, loyal, and, and pride. Like you said, like these are such great characteristics of... Not only a, a sports athlete or a a celebrity figure, but you know just a human being in general. So I'm right there with you, man. It, it's awesome that I can say that I've been a Dirk Nowitzki fan my entire life. It's it makes me proud to be a fan of his. It makes me proud to be a fan of the Mavericks. And let's just hope that you know we find someone, whether it's Luca. I you mean, know, I mean, all of our fingers are crossed that Luca's going to take the torch and and carry it with him, but you know we just hope that someone even like 90% of Dirk comes comes around again
5: was there anything you wanted to say before we close you know actually i've had i've had this nagging question i'm not sure if you've you've talked about it with anybody else and it's a, it's a hypothetical you, you know how much you know dirk talks about himself how much 2006 how crushing it was and then how how much 2007 affected him and he talks about going on that retreat with uh, Holger and, and having to reset. There's part of me that wonders. The story is amazing because Dirk won, right? The story is only great because he won. What if he didn't? I, 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 that feels like heresy to even ask, but what if he didn't? Do you think that he would have become like a bitter man? I don't know if he would become... This is so. Uh, this is my personal
0: opinion. Sure. My answer to that is he would just be John Stockton, Carmelo. Malone... Chris Webber. Yeah, Chris Webber, like these Hall of Fame guys. I mean, Chris Webber is not on their tier, but no. <laughs> these Hall of Fame guys just that just will always have the moniker of best player to never win it. And I, I think that would eat at Dirk for sure if yeah. 2006 was his only chance and it basically got taken away from him, whether it's Wade's Jordan-esque you know, performances or the refs. Or, I mean, a lot of people don't remember, but Dirk did miss a couple big free throws there at the end of game three. Yeah, I think it would have eaten at him, but I don't think he would have been bitter. I mean, at the end of the day, and this is what I've said uh, many times, is basketball is his passion. It's something that he picked up very young, and he worked at it and put his blood, sweat, and tears in it for years and years and years. But the dude is like, 300 million dollars rich you know like (laughs) he's good right from a basketball standpoint you're absolutely correct the story has a nice finish because he ended up winning um and he was able to you know stay loyal to the franchise stay loyal to dallas the city cuban but if he didn't i i would have expected him to stay as well i don't think it would his mindset i think he would have just stayed a lifer and would have been okay with the the john stockton career what about you what do you think
5: yeah i i I like to hope so too i i i I do think part of the story is that because he got that second chance you know he got that second chance in 2011 and what we saw was basically a a man possessed right he wasn't going to let the story end any other way so again part of me feels silly for asking it because uh, you know the player we saw in that series he was not going to let this slip out of his hands again but I, it's more I, I look at how he has ended his career right the last seven eight years since the championship and you saw there was a weight off his shoulder i, I don't i don't feel like he you know e- even when we had early playoff exits or or uh or when we didn't even make the playoffs you know for for uh, several years already now um there was not that sense of, you know, same sense of urgency anymore. And I just wonder how that would have played out if he hadn't won in 2011, you know, if he would have been, I mean, of course, he, his competitive spirit would have kept him, you know, striving for greatness through, through, through now. But, uh, ah, just, just interesting to think about I think about it, especially in, in light of the stories like, like Tony Romo, right. Another person I think we all love and, 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 or not probably not all of us, but, but someone who was considered a great person who really never got his, or the Rangers, right? Like two crushing defeats. And, and that's, that's shaped our franchise in a very different way. Uh, they were on the cusp of victory too. And, and that's obviously a very different story. And again, and maybe, maybe in the end, all this is, all, all this proves is that Kirk was the, 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 the leader and, and the, the hope that we needed. And uh, that's why maybe that's, you know, even more why he's so important to not just the Mavs, not just basketball, but to the entire Dallas sports Um, audience because uh, he changed the story and and he will, he will the entire team there.
0: Yeah. I think you're exactly right. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it just proves that Dirk is greater than, um, you know, those names that you mentioned, whether it's Romo or Hamilton or Nelly Cruz on the Rangers or whoever. I think those are all great guys in their own right. And they would probably be hall of famers, if they had just won two more playoff games, you know, if like Romo won a Super Bowl, I think he would have been a first, ball, first ballot Hall of Famer himself. But because he yeah. didn't win three games in a row in the postseason, he's he's not going to sniff the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's a big deal, right? You have to be able to take your team in the most pressure situations in the postseason and will them to win. And I think Dirk was able to do that. What's crazy, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, just the history of the Mavs after that 05-06 loss in the finals there were four years in between right so Mm -hmm. 06 they lost 2011 is when they won there were four years in between they it was a first round exit first round exit second round exit first round exit there was just no way people would have expected or predicted that after those early failures they would come back and actually win the finals in 2011 it's just kind of amazing to me
5: Uh, i got i got shivers i'm
0: I'm gonna cry again
5: i i i can't i can't even even imagine what the last games are gonna be like you're gonna have to again you got to live stream that that game man the entire thing it'll be the longest six pennies podcast ever and it'll be totally okay we're all gonna watch it just just do it for the fans man
0: six pennies podcast instagram tv be on the lookout tuesday night april 9th All right, guys. Uh, Thank you, Conky. Thank you, David. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, It was fun. You know, I don't want to end it on a somber mood, but just put on put in that 2011 DVD before you go to sleep tonight
5: and just appreciate Dirk for who he is. Absolutely. On repeat until until he leaves our our team on repeat. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, Conky. Thanks, Abby. Talk to you soon.
0: Alright, we have a special treat. We actually have three guests for this particular segment. We have Hal Lu, Josh Wu, and Caleb Wu. I think two of them are legit Dirk Maz fans, and then I think one of them may not be. But we'll get into that a little bit. So we'll start with Josh. Uh, I guess just give us a little bit about yourself, background, what you do, where you grew up, things like that.
6: Yeah, uh, my name is Josh. Uh, I grew up here in uh, Plano, Texas, a suburb of Dallas. Been here since about 96 or so. Grew up uh, a, Rock- a Rockets fan, actually, for the first couple of years. And then uh, moved here and then uh, just got um, absorbed with mass basketball. And Man, Rockets fan? It.
0: Yeah.
6: Is that why you wear red all the time? <laughs> Jeez. <Might be. laughs>
0: all right, let's go to How Lou. Quick introduction.
7: Yeah, this is my second time on the Six Pennies podcast. First time on the OG dad pod. I've been in Dallas since I was about eight or nine years old. That's when I started following basketball, so the Mavs have been my own one and only basketball team. Uh, moved away for a while in high school to Japan, still followed the Mavs there, and then
0: moved back to Dallas. Just been a Mavs fan ever since, been a Dirk fan ever since. Caleb, who wasn't invited to the podcast, but he's here anyways. Caleb, interest.
8: Yeah, tend to do that, kind of show up when uninvited. Long time listener, first time caller, glad to be here. Um, for me, my biggest kind of sports moment actually kind of peeve off my brother here. Um, when my brother was a big Rockets fan, just to kind of troll him, I was actually a big Orlando Magic fan because they used to uh, meet in the 94 finals. So I was a big Shaq fan growing up. And of course when Shaq got traded to the Lakers, it, that became my new kind of affinity. So grew up in Dallas, um, having kind of been surrounded by this Dirk Mania, Mavs Mania, kind of the hype. So I've kind of seen it from a different lens. So I'm here to kind of offer an alternative perspective than what we may have with particularly rose-colored lenses here.
0: I'll probably edit everything Kayla says out, because <laughs> this is a Dirk-centric pod, Dallas love, Mavericks love. Let's start with uh, Hal. What's your first memory of Dirk Nowitzki? Oh man,
7: uh, I remember seeing him in the 1998 draft, uh, I had no idea who he was, we traded, I think... Uh, this is a big trade, right? We traded a Tractor Trailer for him. And then RIP, we got, RIP. Yeah, we got him and Pat Garrity. And we traded Pat Garrity for Steve Nash. And I was like, man, we got two white guys on the Mavs. <laughs> and we had no idea who they were. This guy, this tall, super-lengthy guy with this terrible-looking haircut. And uh, we had no idea what to expect, except he was terrible his first season. So we all thought, oh, thought he was the best.
0: Yeah, I mean, he just looked like a Backstreet Boy, right, with the butt, yeah. the butt cut, the blonde, tip. same with uh, Steve Nash. But you're right, ninety eight draft that really just changed the landscape of Dallas basketball, really basketball in, in the state of Texas, just because Dirk really moved the moved the movement forward, and then it shut down the Bucks and the Magic for for years to come after that. Caleb, let's go to you. Um, hmm. I know you're a Lakers fan, unfortunately. You lived in Dallas your whole life. What made you, like, how did you handle being part of Dallas Mania throughout all those years?
8: It was tough. Uh, A lot of my friends, I would say 100% of them, grew up Mavs fans. So kind of off the off the cuff there, um, got a lot of harassment. Why were you not a Mavs fan? Were you just trying to be a contrarian? Uh, no, so so really like I said, kind of what I shared earlier, for me the biggest thing always kind of started with Shaq and then when Shaq went to LA for me, like that, that type of I guess that connection that I felt when I was a kid seeing Shaq, and at that time he was in commercials. He was doing Shaq Fu, he was doing Pepsi, and then for him to go to LA, I was like, oh, this guy is like, I just really, I really kind of created that personality that Shaq had. I really liked kind of that Hollywood feel. So for me, when I saw him in LA and kind of what he did, and of course, later on, flash forward 1997, you know, Kobe went in the dunk contest and, and me, Seeing him come through, it's like that Kobe and Shaq. For me, that 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 sport moment for me is kind of what maybe you guys had with Dirk and Nash and the big three and then maybe the, the 2000 um, finals and, and whatnot. But for me, that was the biggest thing. Was, isn't that that I, I, I've always hated the Mavs or I didn't like the Mavs? But just that Hollywood star power that L.A. had to offer, it, it's just too hard to say no. I mean, we could look at the, the current free agency now and what that city has like it's just there's something about that Hollywood star power that you 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 got that you can't beat that you can't beat that
0: but does that mean that you know during um, I guess turmoil there in the early 2000s were you more Team Shaq or Team Kobe oh for sure Team Kobe
8: I mean unfortunately <laughs> obviously through the through the rape allegations and him flying through um, Colorado and coming in and then you know that that loss that we had against Detroit was um, crushing, especially with all the hype that we had with Peyton Malone and just what the the expectations was for that team. But you know Shaq kind of he ran his course, and then at the end of the day, you know it's Kobe's team, and to see what he's able to do even post Shaq era, looks like we made the right decision.
0: That's probably gonna be the last question I ask Caleb because that's way too, <laughs> way too much <laughs> Laker stuff. To Kobe, guys. Yeah, let's let's go let's go to his brother Josh. Josh, you've been you've been a season ticket holder for many many years before and after the 2011 run, can you kind of like recollect a moment that most non-Dallas Mavericks fans don't know
6: about that you remember about Dirk or the Mavs? Oh man, I think one of the best moments was during the 2011 playoffs. I was at the Mother's Day Massacre game where it was Jet Terry, (laughs) Pager going off (laughs) on game four, blowing them all out. Out of the water Just with those threes that was, that was one of the greatest Greatest games I've ever witnessed Did you watch that with your brother?
8: Uh, no, I was actually in LA When that game happened And, and I just My phone kept on blown up Because I had So many people text me <laughs> FaceTime me It was That Massacre Day Was one of the, I think that's the only time that In the modern era Where the Lakers and Mavs played And it's just unfortunate That the outcome Was the way it was But yeah I remember Getting my phone blown up Let's talk about
0: Dirk um, as a player before we get into Dirk as a person. Because everybody here, even if you're not a Mavs fan or a Dirk fan, you have to respect who he is as a person off the court. But let's talk about how he changed the game on the court. Josh, like, what do you think made him so unique? What do you think made him so influential? Because now if you look at the NBA, you had guys like Kobe, aforementioned Kobe, mm-hmm. LeBron... KD, Russell Westbrook, all these guys are kinda emulating his one-legged fadeaway. But Dirk was much more than that. So what do you think he brought to the court that really made him so effective?
6: I think, first of all, I mean you gotta attribute Holger as the 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 main mastermind that, that actually transformed Dirk into what he was. All his drills, all his 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 practices that he got in and he like basically molded him into what he was. Um, I remember, I was I read an article that during that uh, camp that he went to, I mean, the, those international players, those young high school stars, they never saw like a seven footer just bring the ball up, and and just like you know just crush everyone. It was just so amazing at that time to see that, and I think you know having that it really transformed in, into what that position is now as a stretch four. Yeah, just to piggyback off of that, I think that World Challenge
0: Rising Stars camp that you're talking about, I think Dirk played against all these future NBA stars and dropped like 38-16, and and that's when Charles Barkley caught wind and kind of recruited him to go to Auburn, but he decided to go to the NBA, and the rest is history. I guess, Hal, same question, like, what is it about Dirk that really makes him so good as a player? He is undoubtedly the greatest Dallas Maverick of all time yeah. and arguably a top 20, top 30, like NBA player of all time. So what how did he get there? Man, we were just talking about this downstairs. We said we, we argued that he was probably a
7: top two or three power forward of all time. After Tim Duncan. Man, I, I think he's just so incredibly skilled. I think like uh, his passing I think is one of the most underrated things. Uh, he could make any pass, cross court, off the dribble. And he didn't pile up assists, but he was really smart with basketball. Basketball IQ wise, I think through the roof. And he, I mean, he ran our offense uh, even after Steve Nash left. That was pretty, pretty amazing to see a seven footer. Like Josh said, he's the OG stretch four. I can't think of one other play before him that was the definition of a modern day stretch four before Dirk. Revolutionized the game. Just super fun to watch. And demoralizing, if you're the opposing team, the seven-footer, like, barely, you know, getting off the ground, fadeaway jumpers over you all day. I mean, it's just demoralizing for a team to
0: watch. It was fun to watch as a Dallas fan. Do you think that's something that was innate in him, the basketball IQ, or do you think that's something he honed and he had to grow through Hogar or through other training mechanisms? Uh, I don't know. It's a hard question to answer. To. I don't know, personally.
7: But like from everything that you know of Dirk, I mean, he's just, everyone talks about how, how hard of a worker he is, you know, I think that, that ingrained in us too, you know, uh, his loyalty to the city and how hard he worked and it seemed like for us, you know, um, and even though things went bad in 06, he stuck with it and finally got a ship in 2011, I just feel like that speaks to him as, like, a person. Uh, I mean, we all see him as a person of character, right? Even though we've never met him, all of us are like, man, Dirk is this, you know, he must be a great guy, right? And I think, like, you know, that comes from seeing the way... I mean, he, 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 he chirps at officials, but, like, he... After the game, he's always very professional, and, I mean, his, his work ethic is something that, like, we've... It, like, permeates through the things he says, the, his reaction after winning in 2011. And so kind of, like, all of that put together, you know, it just made us feel that, like, Dirk was this character that worked for us, you know, worked hard for us. And he developed, I mean, obviously his game developed through the years. He sucked as a rookie. And then all of a sudden, second year got better, and every
0: year got better and better after that. It's good that you bring up 2006. Um, it's one of the biggest, like, I guess Black marks of failures in his career. And maybe you don't blame Dirk, maybe you blame Dwayne Wade or you blame the officials. Whatever the case may be, but if you expand that even further throughout his 21-year career, there's actually a lot more failures, playoff failures than 2011, you know, triumph. So how, what made you continue to believe in Dirk Josh like every single year is like a first round exit. If you look at 20, 20 2006 to 2011, those 4 years they're actually
6: all first round exits. So what made people believe man it's it's hard to say cuz every year you you know after the those 06 they lost to the warriors he had to deal with that that Crystal Taylor incident and <laughs> i mean the the i guess the public knowledge of, at that time was he was just soft i I just, I just i guess just being able to see him and just know that he was our guy he was going to stick through through us time and time uh, I, I i guess that really gave us um, you know, something to hold on to, something to strive for, even though you know it. It looks like it was really bleak at times. As a fan, as a season ticket
0: holder, did you have doubt at any point in Dirk's career? Like maybe he just can't win it.
6: Maybe he, he can't bring the Mavs a national a, a title. I mean, the, I mean that definitely had some doubts for sure. I and mean, that's a that's a long span, five years. Yeah. I mean, at the time, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure management was also thinking that too. Hold hold up, Josh. You're a season ticket holder. To the Dallas Mavericks? I was. Man, how come I didn't get a- Then Tim, 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 Tim Lamb
8: Man, I, yeah. didn't,
0: I didn't get on any of that. It was Tim. You're not a top one friend- top <laughs> tier to friend no. No, clearly, <laughs> clearly, clearly, clearly. <laughs> Alright, let's- let's kind of integrate Kayla back into the discussion here. Um, it's- it's Dirk's, for all intents and purposes, probably his last year. Dirk has never been about himself. He just likes to go away peacefully. Even if he's, like, the MVP, he's just, like, really quiet about it. Um, on the other side, you, you see guys like D-Wade. He has, like, a manufactured, you know, farewell tour, if you will. Exchanging jerseys and just making sure that he is the center of attention for every game. I'm not going to call, call out any names, but, you know, a couple years ago, the guy who scored 60 in his last game and took 55 shots, very similar mindset. He loved to be the center of attention and also had his own farewell tour. I mean, it is what it is. I mean Dirk is different in that way, but how like do you respect that? And if so, um,
8: how would you want to go out? Yeah, absolutely. I think Dirk I feel like blue collar, kind of a common man, I think that's what makes Dirk so relatable is especially like you talked about earlier, like the way that he reacted to winning the championship, he had to take a moment just to kind of run back to the locker room to compose himself. I think for me, and you know, I maybe speak for most of us, like for us, just to imagine the amount of hard work that we have put in and to finally hit the mountaintop despite all the different failures, like I think that's what makes Dirk more relatable versus guys like Kobe and D-Wade where their personalities, they crave that spotlight. Um, in, in a sense, like that's also maybe what's make, what makes them so great and kind of give them that killer instinct because for them, they believe that at any given moment, um, the league is not as good or it, it won't continue without these guys being present. So, um, you know, looking at Dirk, of course, there's, there's so much respect in just the way that he handles it, because I feel like in the, in the league of alpha dogs now, you don't see guys like Dirk anymore, or even like Duncan, kind of right off in the sunset without much fanfare. Um, and that's, for me, that's kind of where I feel like the, the evolution of the game is going is now it's all about super teams, brand names, um, how do we win with, with, with that type of caliber when you have, you know, Dirk with of like really a, a team of just role players May, you know maybe with, with the exception of jason kidd on the tail end of a hall of fame career like you see what he was able to do there like there's nothing that anybody can take away from dirk and what he was able to contribute in that aspect great how you have two daughters you
0: have a son on the way i don't know if that was public knowledge but you're about to have a third child tmz breaking news and, um, you know, potentially this third child may fall in love with the game of basketball. Especially now, we're blessed to have Luka Doncic on the Mavericks. The ideal situation is for him to stay for 21 years and ride it out with Dallas. And maybe your future son can have a role model that he can look up to. But let's say he, he's just curious. He go, you know, he goes to you one night and he's like, Dad, like, what was it like growing up during Dirk's prime? Like what? What lessons or what things that you took from Dirk, just as a fan perspective, that uh, you know we should communicate to Luca. Let's say ten years from now, Luca's peak of his powers. He hasn't won. He's gone through all these playoff failures. He wants to quit. Like what are some of the you know persevering traits and qualities that Dirk has that you can tell? Oh man, I I, I really can't
7: believe Caleb alluded to this that. Dirk stayed loyal to us for 21 years. I really can't believe that. I can't believe that after 2006, he didn't just wither. I mean, he did, right? <laughs> he lost in the first round Golden State War- to the Golden State Warriors. But he kept pushing through. And I really believe that that championship in 2011 meant more to him than if he had three or four. You know, just the way that he won it on his own terms. He had his own flu game. I mean, he didn't even play that well, I don't think, in game six, right? I think he had a terrible shooting percentage. Yeah, he's like one for 11 in the yeah, first half. Yeah, 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 I remember that. Uh, we all watched that together, actually, in San Antonio. And I, I, I think, man, just, I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything that, you know, a highlight will show about Dirk. You had to live it, you know? You had to live through all the heartache year after year after year. You know, I would have loved it if we won it with the big three, you know, with Finley and Nash. I think we lost this didn't we lose the Spurs in the 0-3 Western Conference Finals or something like that? Mm-hmm. That was that was, that was heartbreaking when Manu Ginobili's knee, hit Dirk's, and then he was out for the rest of the. Man, I hated Ginobili after that. Um, but you just had to live through all of that. You know, you had to live through all that to see the perseverance of Dirk, and, you know, for all of us to. I mean, we we all we were all heartbroken after 0-6. I mean, I'm pretty sure we all shed some tears, right? Um, but we all still love Dirk. And I think that's just a testament to who he is as a person. Like, the fan base in Dallas never turned their back on Dirk, even though through the thick. His level of perseverance, his level of dedication to the city, to the game, to his craft. I mean, you can talk about Kobe, you can talk about Michael Jordan, and they were great. The barriers that Dirk had to go through, being from Germany, being six foot, being this white, lengthy kid who, you know, Who's playing a position the, the way no one played it before? And, and to win a championship on his own terms, right? Not changing the way he played, even losing a, a Hall of Famer in Steve Nash, and being the, the leader of that team in 2011. I think there's no greater testament to like what human perseverance can, can take you. And I think that that's the biggest lesson to me, too like just what hard work can do, right?
0: And that's, that's a lesson that we should all learn. Yeah, not only did, you know, the Dallas Mavericks fans or Maverick Nation stay behind Dirk, but they were actually beginning to turn on the Mavericks themselves. Yeah. It's like, why are we not fielding yeah. a team that was yeah. competitive enough for Dude, Dirk?
7: I remember us having lots of conversations where like, Dirk should just go. Dirk should just go chase some championships, right? Like, all of us were just like, all... D- Josh turned his... I don't know, what, were, what was your... His screen name is Wit 41 Right back in the day, like the level of loyalty to Dirk in our group of friends was just unparalleled, and we turned on the Mavericks. here, right. We're like, man, we're we're not signing the right people. We're not putting people right, uh, right people around him. Dirk should just leave. Go to L A. We even said, go to L A. He only had two
6: All Stars, I think, during his Jason Kidd and Josh Howard. Yeah. I mean, um, wow. that was Josh, it. That was it. So let's. Uh Josh, let's talk
0: about 2011 and just that experience. You were here living in the city. Like Hal alluded to earlier, we were actually in San Antonio, San Antonio so we didn't get to experience it firsthand no. day in and day out throughout the entire playoff. <coughs> I just felt like the city was just like on pins and needles every night watching the games. What was it like being here in Dallas, and what, how did you celebrate 2011?
6: Oh uh, it was crazy. Um, I was a season big holder that year, so I was able to get tickets for most of the home games. And the atmosphere in those games it was just electric. It was something like you would never feel like in a regular season game or just in in general. It was just like so much excitement and then Did you did you go to a finals game? Yeah, I yeah. Went to which game? Went to the three and four. That was, that, was that the Jason Terry
8: shot over LeBron? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. the that, that one. Woo!
6: Game three, Man. we lost. Chris Bosh hit a, hit a mid-range jump around the corner. We lost that one. Excitement was crazy. We watched game six in the AAC. They had like a free v party or whatever. So like a bunch of fans were just in there right. watching it. And then when it was over, we like walked out there. It was like complete chaos. Everyone was just like running around honking horns, like just like doing cheers. It, it was insane. That's fun. And then uh, I was able to do the parade, um, championship parade also, and, and that, was, that was really amazing too. I mean, uh, so many people there, and, and you're over here, dirt, you know, seeing you the champions terribly, that was, that was fun.
0: Over, under, did you drop 500 bucks on championship gear after you <laughs> won? Over. over. Over, easy. <laughs> easy, easy, over. Right over, easy, over. What about you, Hal? How much money did you spend in San Antonio? Because we were there we, we were watching it together yeah. that night. Yeah. We had our buddy Titus I, and his wife drive down. Yeah. I just remember after <laughs> the game ended, we all just took out our laptops and our
7: wallets. Like we <laughs> were <laughs> 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 <Championship> DVD!
8: <laughs> oh my uh, gosh.
7: Man, uh, I remember that day I was in my OBGYN rotation. Actually you were at you were at our apartment already and Titus and Jenny had driven driven down. <laughs> and the game already started, and I, I, had, I was still in my and I wasn't like gonna get done until like nine o'clock, but then I told them that I was, I was feeling terrible, I was throwing up in the bathroom, <laughs> just so I could go home and watch game six. Uh, so I definitely lied, and uh, I got out of doing the rest of my rotation, and then I ran home, we watched the rest of the game, and man, I just remember we were like, I mean, Jenny Jenny was the only other person there, so us three were like locking arms toward the end of the game, yeah. <laughs> on the couch, locking arms <laughs> in
0: this in this little apartment in San Antonio. In the dark. In the dark, <laughs> and then when we were uh, recording ourselves. Do you remember that we had a camera set up just yeah. just in case? Where's this footage? Can we can we put that um, on the? Uh, can we get that out there somewhere? It would cost a lot of money for, for, a this, lot of for this money.
7: footage to be publicized. Oh, I would love to see that. Um, and man, I just remember Jenny having to like sit there and take pictures and videos of us the whole time. <laughs> She's not even a Mavericks fan. Um, and then yeah, afterwards we bought like three of everything, and we yeah. still I still have some T-shirts that I've never worn uh, as as mementos. It tags on Yeah,
0: from from the two thousand eleven season. Josh, you brought this name up earlier, and it's a. Uh... It's a crazy, you know, like, just a crazy moment in Dirk's personal life. But Crystal Taylor, um, I think this was like 07, 08 time, he was like in the crib, you know, hanging out with his chick, and then the FBI just storms the door, knocks it down, and it was like, uh, do you know who you're with, basically. The, this, like, imposter, this scammer. What else do you know about that story, Josh?
6: I mean, I, I knew that- I knew that Dirk put his heart and his soul into her. <laughs> Is that is that
9: literally, or is that? (laughs) He
6: (laughs) put. How do you
5: know that? You can
6: just see it. See it.
8: She's from Beaumont, though. That's where Josh and I lived for a little bit of a period of time, so I do remember her, her being from Beaumont, and that's why I was so shocked.
0: I think what the the whole crazy thing about that story is like Dirk. Dirk at that point was like an NBA superstar. You know, he's like on top of the world. He's basically the the king of Dallas at that point. He had won MVP, um, but this BS still happens to him, right? Like he's still getting scammed, and most likely he fell in love with this girl who just wanted him for the money so like how did you guys you know how, how how did that really like affect you like how like i mean like this is this is like a larger than life person that we watch on tv right but this actually happened to him in real life so what are your reactions to that i don't know it's just kind of a thing that happened
7: i guess I, n- I never i never thought too much about that incident i mean i was like ah oh, that sucks right Dirk does seem like the kind of guy that would get scammed by that, you know? And so, uh, but I never, maybe it's part of my Dirk fandom, but I was, in my heart, I was like, it probably wasn't Dirk's fault, okay. you know? Uh, so, I don't know, it I, was just a blip in the radar, I felt bad for him. I felt bad for all the press it was receiving. Um, but then again, man, the city of Dallas stayed behind him i like to think that's one of the reasons why Dirk stayed here for 21 years, support from the city of
0: Dallas. Yeah, earlier you mentioned that, you know, if Dirk would have won three to four other championships with another team or so, it probably wouldn't have meant as much or as meaningful for, for Dirk because, um, you know, chasing championships never really mean the same as winning it on your own terms, like you said. Do you think that was a legitimate possibility? Do you think Dirk was... You know, this, he's always had the perception of loyalty and, and love for the city. But do you think secretly behind the doors he wanted out at any time during his career?
7: Probably he wanted out.
0: After 06,
7: after 07. I mean, I don't doubt that he probably questioned whether or not he should leave. Because if you look
0: through the history during that time, 04 Nash leaves, 05 Finley leaves, 06 yeah. is when he loses the finals. 07 is when he's the first I mean, ever first team. round uh, loser to an 8th rounder yeah. eighth 8th eighth seed, seed. right to the Warriors yeah. um, so it was like 4 pretty tough years and then right after that is Chris Taylor yeah. like I'm sure he wanted to
7: leave at some point right but he did the opposite of that he took pay cuts to stay I'm sure he questioned it but his actions show that man this guy is just so committed to winning a championship for Dallas I think that's part of the reason why we all love him so much apart from the Cowboys Mavericks at the time in two thousand eleven, hadn't won never won a championship. Texas Rangers don't even want to go there, you know. So his dedication to winning a championship for our city, I'm sure he questioned leaving. And I have no doubt he would have won multiple championships if he went somewhere else. If he went to the Lakers, uh, he may have won multiple championships, right? And I would have been happy for him. I really would have, but, um, man, instead of you know going to another team, he took
0: pay cuts. Right, that's the kind of guy he is. So it's twenty nineteen. Um, the NBA is basically ushering in a new set of players, new set of superstars, guys like Embiid and Ben Simmons, Giannis, guys like that. Dallas is very lucky to have a really successful rookie. Most likely the rookie of the year this year, Luka Doncic. Where do you think he's a like top
8: seven guy you would build a team around right now? Luka top seven? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, who 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 we who we would put as as like number one right now? Would we say uh, Giannis? Giannis, and then you have Embiid, and then who are the Tatum? Is he is he one of the uh, yeah. rookie young? Know, Donovan, Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell four. Who else? Who else would you say? And then Doncic five. What about Trey Young? Is he uh, no trash? I mean, I haven't, you know. Since Kobe retired, I haven't really watched too many NBA games. <laughs> but uh, but, I, but I've you know I've seen Doncic play, and you know some of the stats that I've seen put I me mean, up. You know, he's he's nineteen. Um, I don't see why not. I mean, just from a European lens, the way that he can handle the ball, the way he can pass, the way he can shoot. Um, he won a championship already from from what was he FC Barcelona? Is that his Real squad? Madrid. Real Madrid, right? So that's arguably that FIBA is probably the second most competitive Mm -hmm. since the NBA so for him to be able to be the alpha dog at that league at 19 like it's kind of saying something I don't know if I would go as far to say that he would be someone that would build my team around just because I am ignorant and I don't know the NBA as much as maybe some of you guys do Um, but I think his already resume from him being 19 you know says a lot I don't know if I would go as far to say that I I would you know he'd be the a cornerstone in any fr- any franchise.
0: Yeah, that's that's respectable that you plead the fifth.
8: Um, let's go, let's go
0: to Josh then, someone who's more knowledgeable about the game of basketball. <laughs> Can I ask Caleb one,
8: one question?
7: Uh, Two thousand eleven.
8: Okay, who are you? Who are you rooting for? Heat or Mavis? oh, for sure the Mavs because I couldn't stand what I couldn't stand LeBron. I couldn't stand the, the idea of a super team. Like for me, and that could be even growing up, you know. And I guess in the nineties, like you don't really see like, a, like a, a major team that, like, almost kind of colludes to, to build a team together. Um, and, and, sure, you could say the old 4 Lakers, but even then, it's like you had a bunch of old, old guy, like, vets. This, I don't I wouldn't even say that you had a, a caliber where these three guys coming in, colluding during the Olympics, coming in and, and creating the super team as a response to what Garnett, Pierce, and Allen, like, really that kind of, like, changed the trajectory of how NBA teams really – Draw free agents, right? So, I guess anybody would love the underdog story, and what better underdog story than the two thousand and eleven Dallas Mavericks against a team that's literally you know, beginning of the season not one, not two, not three. They have a whole, you know, LeBron has a whole press press conference just to announce what his team is going for, and then just the way that you know Dirk and these kind of ragtag Deshaun Stevenson, Brian Cardinal, like these kind of guys come in and they win. In, in six games, like, for me, that just kind of shows, hey, like, I, I respect that so much more than what LeBron, Wade, and Bosch were able to kind of manufacture. I mean, granted, yeah, they're extremely talented and they win, you know, back-to-back the following years, but um, it's just nice, to, it's, it's kind of a nice breath of fresh air that it's not LeBron for the next 10 years, you have, you know, a nice 2011 Championship Mavericks. And I think it couldn't come at a better time. It's true.
0: 2011 was probably the first time it felt that the whole nation was behind the Dallas Mavericks. Because it, it, yeah. it always felt like we were the laughing... Like, we were the butt of everybody's joke. Yeah. Especially after oh six and oh seven, But um, looking back on 2011 and, and what that really meant for the NBA, I don't think it changed how free agents team up now. I think it still, it's still empowered the players... And it's still empowered them to really decide where to go. Um, I mean, this past year, you know, the whole Anthony Davis trade fiasco was was a big deal, but that probably wouldn't even like come to the forefront without that decision in twenty ten. Like, it's giving like all the powers to the, all the powers to the players and the agents and taking away power from the, from the ownership. But anyways, let's go back to Luka Doncic. He's going to be the rookie of the year. I know Trey Young has made a lot of noise recently, and justifiably so. He's been playing really well. But Luka just as a whole, um, for the 82 games, he's just been the better player. And there's a lot of parallels with Luka and Dirk Nowitzki. You know, like draft day trades, they're both from Europe. They had a yearly career. Obviously, Luka had a more successful yearly career, Youngest MVP over there, and youngest champion over there, things like that. But there are a lot of parallels. They also went to the Mavs. Um, so we are very lucky to have someone like that potentially take the torch from Dirk. The question I've been asking everybody is, do you think the emergence of Luka Doncic <coughs> has diminished like our appreciation of Dirk? Because this, this is most likely his last year. But the focus has really been on Luca. The focus hasn't really been on Dirk. People are not really remembering the last twenty-one years of what he's brought to us. They're more excited, and granted, I'm very excited too. But they're more excited and more focused on what Luca is bringing, more towards the future. What do you say about that, Josh?
6: Well, I think they are trying to. They're trying to push the remembrance of Dirk through this month of Dirk, right? right. They're trying to you know b- revive old clips, whatever, just to let people know you know about dirt, and then as dirt retires or moves on later on, they can start building a bit about Luca. But I mean, I f- I feel like Luca is is somebody that it would, would fit the mold to to be able to pass the torch to. Um, he's got heart. He's got fiery competitiveness. i do not. They could tell after a couple of the games in like February and March. I mean, we're trying to tank here, but he, he's going, Ah, oh, he's ripping his jersey, he's screaming, he's just doing all this stuff, and you can just tell he's got that competitive edge that you can definitely build on.
0: Yeah, I asked that question because the alternative is, let's say Luka doesn't exist. Let's say we never get a Luka Doncic and the Mavs are still a terrible basketball team. This season, even though he wouldn't want it to be, would definitely be all about Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah every event every promotion every advertisement would be about Dirk's last year and what he's done for the the city the team Cuban everybody right but because of Luca we don't we don't have any of that maybe you're right we have that for the month of April but at this point you know everyone's already kind of said their goodbyes maybe that's just the way Dirk wanted um, but how how do you react to that yeah I, I think I, I think what you said what you just said is probably right is that
7: Dirk probably prefers it this way. Um, I don't think... He's never been a guy uh, that seeks the spotlight. You know, in 2011, when we... I think all of us were on edge to, to see, like, how he would react to winning. Like, we wanted him to, like, celebrate, see joy on his face, tears, whatever. But he did, like, the most Dirk thing ever, right? He left and, like, shared a moment by himself away from the spotlight. I think that's probably the same way he approaches this. Like, he's probably he's probably glad that Luke is taking the spotlight from him, and he just wants to go out in the sunset. And I mean, he's gonna be a part of this organization forever, right? In some way or form, Cuban will make sure of that.
6: Mm.
7: And Dirk will always be cemented in the Dallas Mavericks organization, whether it be you know as a coach or in the in the front office, some way or form. Dirk was going to be involved in the Dallas Mavericks, and so um, I think this is the way he prefers it. but but it's funny how, like we all like, you know, we all feel like we know Dirk, right? Like all of us like have this sense of feeling that like we know who Dirk kind of is as a person. And maybe it's like we've known him for like twenty one years, like following him every day um, in in the media and his quotes and stuff. but i, I and I feel like sometimes when you project what who someone really is in real life you're oftentimes wrong but with Dirk I don't really have a doubt that he is who you know we see he is um, and 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 I, and I think that you know he's just been really true to he's just very been very honest with the city of Dallas to his fans and um, even with his emotions he can't hide things right and and so I I mean I, I'm sure I'm sure he he's He's introspective about this, these last few games he's going to have this last month. Um, but
0: I, I think he definitely prefers it without all the hoopla. A couple final questions before we close um, the podcast here. But we keep talking about 2011, and we should, because it is the the peak of basketball for Dallas. Dirk did put Dallas on the map. It's honestly been eight years since 2011, eight freaking years, like almost a decade long since we won. We've gone through a lot of hardships and some good moments since then. Josh, what is your favorite moment post-2011?
6: It's gotta be this year. It's gotta be Luca, us getting Luca, and then us being able to pair him with the superstar from What about you, Hal? I was so satisfied after 2011
7: I didn't think that I would care if we won another championship in my lifetime, but uh, I was wrong. Yeah, but I, I think Josh is right. I think um, this year is probably... Well, we were excited last year when we got DSJ, and then this year when we got Luca, I think that was, that's been the highlight of the last eight
0: years, which is kind of sad to say, but it's true. You talked about how it seems like we're talking about Dirk as if we know Dirk as a person. Uh, we haven't really met him. Maybe some of us have, like, gotten to, I don't know, Josh, if you got gotten, like, locker room passes and talked to him for a couple minutes. But, you know, for the most part, we don't know him. We just know him as a basketball player, as this larger-than-life character. Um, but we all have very positive things to say about him and his character and his work ethic and his family life and things like that. But that's because we follow the Mavericks on a day-to-day basis. Even Caleb, who's not a Mavericks fan, he lives here. He is pretty you know, intertwined with the inner workings of the Mavs just because of his vicinity to the team. But if you had to say something to, I don't know, your buddy in Hong Kong or your friend in New York that doesn't follow the Mavericks every day for the last 21 years, like what are some of the, the defining qualities that you guys would speak about when it comes to Dirk?
8: Defining qualities when it comes to Dirk, um, I I would say uh, for sure it is humility. I know we've kind of touched that a lot with a bunch of anecdotes and talked about farewell tour versus how Dirk wants to ride on the sunset. Dirk winning the championship and kind of spending a moment. I think for me, that is a very rare breed, especially when you're playing a sport at the highest level. So the amount of humility um, that Dirk had, and and just the respect for the game, um, and just the loyalty that he has for the Dallas Mavericks, um, and kind of how I touched on this earlier, but even giving a pay cut to Chandler Parsons coming in here um, to be to be, you know, for what he thought was uh, a a key piece to the growth and development of the Dallas Mavericks, um, just goes to show um, maybe some of the delusion that Dirk has, but also just kind of like at what length and what cost that he would be willing to go for a team. And it doesn't matter if you are in basketball or anything, just the amount of loyalty that anybody has. Um, I'm sure my cousin in Hong Kong would be able to appreciate that. So Caleb said humility, sacrifice, and loyalty. Josh, same
6: question for you. Like, how would you describe Dirk? I would have to say on the same premise, loyalty and then just perseverance. Um, Loyalty with the pay cuts that he's taken – just trusting the, the, the management, you know, that, that way he would provide help, and, you know, even if they didn't, he didn't know if it was going to happen or not, he'd still take pay cuts and just give them the chance to be able to, to try to do that. And just perseverance, just you see all the trial and tribulations that he went through from getting here until now, and just how he was able to overcome and um, overcome that and just try to defeat that. Uh, that's something that we all learn from. Uh, you asked
7: me earlier, I don't think I really answered it, of what I would want my... Child to learn. I thought about this for a little while, and I think one thing in this day and age is that um, people associate confidence with arrogance, and people associate like competitive fire with like this image of you know a dominating personality. And I think Dirk showed us that that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. That you can be competitive yet humble. Uh, You can be um, confident, but still have self-deprecating humor. And you can be, you know, a kid from nowhere and become an NBA champion
0: doing it the right way. Props to him, props to Dirk. and thanks guys for joining.
6: Thanks,
0: Thanks, Six Pennies Podcast. Alright guys, let's welcome our next guest, Titus Lamb here. I'm on site in, in Austin, Texas uh, we went to the Dell match play this, this morning, this afternoon, we, we watched Tiger Woods, but really, the main reason why I'm in town is to record this podcast. <laughs> so before we do that, before we dive into the greatness that is Dirk Nowitzki, his 21 years, potentially might be his last, let's get a little bit into you, Titus, let,
9: let the listeners know a little bit about yourself, your background. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for this particular podcast. Um, I can't recall the last time I've done homework, but I did homework for this just to to bring back some good memories about the past and, and about Dirk. And so uh, just a little bit about myself, since, you know, I do want to stay on brand for this particular podcast. I've been uh, an MFFL for, man, I, I, I can't even think of how many years it's been. It's probably been um, legitimately... I want to say 22 years. What does an M- MFFL mean? So uh, for those of you listening uh, that aren't aware, an MFFL is it's an acronym, obviously, for being a Mavericks fan for life. An acronym is all that it is now. I will say that when I officially became an MFFL member, official member with <laughs> Albert Wynn, we actually paid like all of our allowance <laughs> yeah. money back in the
0: day. <laughs> We paid like 50 bucks or $100, and what we got back was this really cool membership card. It was like a a, a laminated library (laughs) card. And then we got 15% off. All Mavs merchandise.
9: (laughs) I wonder if it still works. Actually, it does not. It does not. It not. No, because
0: I I tried it a couple years after, and it was obsolete. Um, Um, I think the term MFFL was introduced by Cuban actually when he bought the team in ninety nine two thousand.
9: Because no one liked the Mavs. Nobody did.
0: Nobody did. It's kind of like Texas basketball right now. Nobody goes to the games. Yeah, Uh, a reunion arena was empty. They were averaging ten to twelve wins a year. Like it was a, a really bad that franchise. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there were talks about bankruptcy. I'm sure there were talks about moving the team out of Dallas. By the time Cuban
9: bought it, yeah, those were those were very tough times. And I think what's cool about the whole MFFL thing is, really, at at that time we didn't we didn't know where this was going. The both of us weren't even really into. Playing sports, uh, maybe just getting into trying to play sports and stuff in seventh grade. Um, Mavs obviously had absolutely no history at all. No, and uh, we kind of were just going against the grain and uh, decided to to jump on this Maverick ship and you know see where it went. The the one thing I remember is that around that time after we joined the club, um, Albert actually. Went to Albertsons, the good old Albertsons. Which do they even exist anymore? Not that particular one. That that one doesn't I mean, exist a, anymore. It's a Chinese supermarket it, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been overtaken by China. Albert went over to Albertsons and got us a super cheap Dallas Mavericks T-shirt, which I still have to this day. Those were good times. Man. I got it right before school,
0: and uh, I remember I made my dad take me. It was gray. <laughs> It was interesting because it was a new Mavs logo. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I had I, I currently don't have it still, but I had it for at least 15 years. Do you remember going to the Mavs games for free? Because we would, like, paint our faces and paint our bodies?
9: Yeah, yeah. Those were in solidarity, you know? Um, you would give me, like,
0: William Wallace haircuts from Braveheart. <laughs> it was just, like... It was such a crazy time, and I'm, I'm really fortunate, or we're both very fortunate, that our parents allowed that to happen, right? Like, they, they took us to Reunion Arena, um, to the games, and I think at, by that point, it might be the AAC, but at point in time, so we're talking about early 2000s, growing up in, you know, we, were, we grew up in Plano, so a suburb outside of Dallas, it wasn't actually cool to be a Mavs fan. You were either a Cowboys fan or some other team. You know, like growing up, I just remember my dad was into the Houston Rockets because they were winning in the mid-90s. I was a Jordan fan for the longest time, right, because of the 90s. The Mavs thing was, like, way contrarian at that point. And by the time that Finley, Dirk, and Nash came around and just became all-stars or borderline all-stars... Everyone was on board. Yeah, the excitement, the hype. I just like I wish you know our kids can experience something like that when they're teenage years. So let's dive dive into Dirk Nowitzki. Um, So obviously you guys, you know, you're halfway through the podcast now. As you can tell, I'm interviewing various people all over the country about Dirk Nowitzki, what he means to them, what he's meant to them, to the team, to the city to basketball in general. So my first question to you, Titus, it's year 21. Uh, he's taken up the majority of our, our sports lives, right? We've, we follow sports and he's always been around. But what's the most memorable thing for you when it comes to Dirk Nowitzki?
9: This was such a, a difficult question um, and really the only question that, that Albert gave me a little bit of a heads up on. And I still can't really nail uh, one in particular, um, you know, wanting to be a little more creative, I've naturally, you know, tried to stay away from the 2011 finals just because that's probably every Mavericks fan's favorite memory about Dirk Nowitzki. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, I think that this one's kind of cheating in a, in, in a few ways. Uh, but it's mainly because, this year has actually been really cool for me. And the Mavs are obviously kind of at the bottom of the barrel right now. Uh, we're we're going to be a lottery team. Uh, Dirk really isn't playing much at all. He's coming off the bench, which obviously speaks a lot to his character there too. But I think what's really cool is that so many of the cities around the nation are paying their respects to him. True. And, you know, part of me, part of me hates it in a way because he hasn't announced any sort of retirement yet whatsoever. Mm. Um, but then a part of me just, you know, a part of me, you know, a part of me, it it just feeds me in that way. You know, it, it really speaks to me from the perspective of, you know, people are realizing that he's, he's headed towards the end of his career right now. And, it feels like to me he's just being appreciated in the ways that he really hasn't been appreciated throughout his career. Um, you know, barring 2011 and the finals run. Um, this is a guy that, um, he's really in an, an against all odds type of guy. Um, he's really never fit the pattern of the NBA. Um, always really just been the underdog heavily criticized, um, and he's never he's never received the level of respect that I've felt that he's uh, been deserving of, um, and he's never expected that level of respect either um, and that's why I think all these ovations and all these tributes that he's receiving in other in other in other arenas is just incredible and for me that just that just lights a fire of all these other memories. Um, over the past 20-some years of just all the accomplishments that that Dirk has hit, it really gets me going. So
0: I do want to jump in there, and I I know I asked you for one particular moment, and you can dive into that in a little bit, but you're right. Like, this level of appreciation, um, this level of respect, reverence for this individual basketball player is, is great right now. And honestly, the respect didn't come until 2011 nationally right but people don't realize the 12 years leading up to that Dirk was a better player in those 12 years than the yeah I guess the nine years post 2011 you know like totally he had peaked earlier and um people don't realize for more than half of his career how dominant he really was because if you just go down the western conference during the 2000s at the power four position, he's going up against KG, Chris Webber, Tim Duncan, Malone. It goes on and on. Kenyon Martin, David West later on. But Dirk Nowitzki actually has like five or six first-team All-NBAs. So he beat all of them out. Mm-hmm. And that's just the Western Conference guys, right? There's obviously on the other side as well. But not only did he beat them out, but he dominated each of them in the playoffs. Like 02 against KG, right? A uh, year before that, 01 against Malone, 03 against Weber. Like he would dominate these individual matchups. And when the Mavs would lose, it wasn't because of him. It was just, you know, the team wasn't ready or the pieces there just didn't really fit, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, I loved Finley and I loved Nash, but they, when they left, it kind of catapulted and it forced Dirk to become that leader off on and off the the basketball court. And so that really propelled our team. And, um, I just, yeah, I just wanted to say that the 12 years before 2011, like Dirk was a monster and uh, people need to realize that. Okay. So let's go back. Let's say, let me ask you another question or another angle. You have two little boys right now. Um, a third one on the way. We don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet, but a third one on the way. Yeah. Um when they're 20 years old and they're they ask you, "Hey dad, what was it like growing up with Dirk Nowitzki yeah. in the NBA? What
9: was it like cheering for him? What was it like?" Oh man, you know, I I think, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is that the setup to this conversation is that you know one of the ki- one of the kids and in you know their, their older years they're going through a hard time, <laughs> and we're like watching a we're watching a Mavs game together at that time and maybe it's like, Luca on the tail end of his career you know um, that type of scenario, mm-hmm. um, but you know the you know when I'm looking back at at Dirk and his career it's all about defying all odds defying all odds. I mean, just, he has this way of dealing with all types of adversity. What I loved watching about him, um, and this is what 50-year-old me Mm -hmm. um, talking to my, you know, 20-year-old kid, you know, whether it was physical adversity, I mean, he was never seen as, even though he was actually pretty athletic in his earlier years, he was never seen as Super athletic mm-hmm. um, for for being a four, um, you know. He didn't pound the paint, you know. He wasn't that type. You know. We all know that he was called soft um, for well over a decade before he won a championship. My 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 least favorite you know insult that people would call him was Dirk No Ring Ski. <laughs> um, Who said that? Skip And that Bayless? particularly, Skip said it. A bunch of Spurs fans would always you know, plaster it over posters and stuff. <laughs> Spurs. Um, you know, Dirk Nechoksky, you know, they talk about how he'd choke against Golden State, against the heat, you know, the whole Crystal Taylor debacle and, and all that fraud. I mean, this guy has faced just intense levels of physical adversity, of uh, mental and emotional scrutiny, um, from 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 people uh, on the national level, um, really just at, at all different levels. And um, he's overcome all that. And he's overcome that with, with humility. And, you know, we, we live in a world where oftentimes it, it feels like, in today's world, that good guys don't really win, you know. And, you know, I, I think that this would be a talk with my kids where, you know, the premise of it would, would, would just be, you know, you can be a good guy and you can still win. You know, you can be a good, a good person and you can be good willed and good natured and you can still get this thing done. And that's really what it was like watching Dirk Nowitzki. Obviously 20 years later, who knows where we're going to be, but I can't imagine the world that my kids growing up in being as favorable to them as it's been favorable to me. Yeah.
0: that was such a crazy time right oh oh four Nash leaves the team oh five Finley leaves the team oh six Don Nelson leaves the same team so then Avery comes they make the finals he loses oh seven they're the first number one seed to lose to an eighth seed in the first round oh oh eight I believe they lose in the first round again oh nine was the Crystal Taylor thing like it just Mm -hmm. goes on and on yeah uh, 2010 might have been, like,
9: Hoger's tax evasion thing that Dirk had to take care of. Plus the MVP thing. MVP right? thing. And which just, like, accentuates the failure. Yeah, you know? so one,
0: one thing I had alluded to, to a, uh, to a conversation we, I had with uh, Paul, was although Dirk, if you look back on his career, is amazing, right? Number six mm-hmm. overall in scoring, one-time MVP... Like, 15-time All-Star, 13-time All-NBA, Finals MVP, NBA champion. Like, it goes on and on and on. He took Germany to the Olympics, which was his dream life goal. But really, the majority of his career ended in failure. Mm -hmm. And the majority of fans who follow the Dallas Mavericks experience failure. And the fact that he could persevere and just... Sustain all of that, you know, still culminate into a 2011 championship, and then to today where everything's just honky dory, um, is is amazing. And you're right; it's just his resolve, and you know he's always been a goofball, yeah. but we don't know how he is really deep inside, right? I bet all those L's and all those painful losses really ate at him, and it made him, you know, work that much harder each summer. So obviously you're an MFFL you were an official member early in the early 2000s where you actually paid Mark Cuban some money for that for that label um but I would say like all fans are the greatest fans right and each fan is unique Mm -hmm. each fan has a unique story definitely so can you can you get into some of the uniqueness of what made you such a big fan what, what are some of the types of things that you did uh, what are the you know the stuff that you said the things the game nights that you organized I remember you did a lot of that at University of Texas you would have people come over at your in your dorm room to watch Mavs games <laughs> um, but I guess elaborate more on that
9: you know in, in my in my much younger years I was um, quite obnoxious I think with my MFFLness okay. and um, really like half my wardrobe, um, particularly <laughs> in like um, senior high school and and in uh, college was was just Mavs gear. Um, I was always always happy to to find the newest and latest piece of Mavs paraphernalia, um, but also the most unique Mavs paraphernalia too. I probably had like a a couple different Mavs shirts in different languages I know I've had like a Spanish Mavs shirt (laughs) a Chinese Mavs shirt which by the way I do like that Chinese New Year Mavs um shirt from this year I need to figure out a way to get my hands on that um I've had like a a Jewish like a Hebrew Mavs shirt (laughs) um I just love the diversity um that the Mavs have represented in the past um obviously with with Dirk being the top dog there um but you know, I I've you know in my past, I've I've just loved, you know, flaunting the mm-hmm. fact that I'm a Mavs fan, um, whether or not uh, we were winning or not. You know, um, you know, I, I think what's uh, what particularly holds uh, a special place in, in my heart um, is all the drives, all the driving. Um, I, I obviously. We're doing this in Austin. So I've lived in Austin for about 14 years now. Yep. And, um, Since you 0-3. know, growing up an MFFL, it's not easy. It is not easy to be a Mavs fan <laughs> in Austin um, uh, because yeah. we zone to San Antonio. Ugh. So every our Fox Sports is for San Antonio. Yeah. We, we never get a, a Dallas game yeah. in Fox Sports. You know, a- everything that we have here is Spurs- that sucks, man. It's rough. It is so rough. Um, and uh, kind of back to what I was saying, you know, one of what a lot of the memories that I hold dearest to me are, are driving, just driving <laughs> wherever it was, whether it's to Dallas, whether that's meeting you in, in, in Waco, driving to San Antonio, driving to Houston, just to watch Mavs games with the people that I love. Th- those are those were the best times and I think part of it's you know you feel like you're giving something up to to you know try to so it makes it a little more special yeah you know um but you know win or lose those were those were awesome memories to me and yeah I, d- I do remember meeting
0: you in Waco <laughs> and watching the 05 05 06 yeah. playoff game between oh. Dallas and the Suns we, we actually lost that game, but I remember because Josh Howard had a game-tying three-pointer, and he airballed, and I was so mad at Josh Howard. I had I was already <laughs> done with him at that point, but when he didn't even hit the rim, to even give it a chance, I was just over it. But that series was a series where dirt just went off. You're right. Like There was a lot of driving. My joke, my entire life has always been like a third of my life is, is just on the road. It's just driving. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I don't drive anymore. Um, if you've noticed but you're right you down here in Austin having to deal with Spurs and then before 2011 all the Houston friends that you had they always had you know the fact that they had championships over you you know like they always had that had that fact over you until 2011 things changed, and it's been a lot nicer now but if you were to reminisce on one particular moment or one particular game like let's say you're trapped on an island and you get to pick one game you can watch
9: for the rest of your life what game would that be or what moment would that be i mean i can probably answer this for a lot of mavs fans but it just has to be game six of the 2011 finals you know the the moment that that really like puts it over the top is i mean that we won obviously we won you know, um, and, and Dirk hit a bunch of big shots, uh, towards the end of the game. But the moment that he just, he leaves it all behind and he, he runs over to the locker room and he just has his one moment to himself. That's just like a really inspirational moment for me. Um, in, 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 in all of my sports watching years, um, where this guy just, he takes this moment for himself, all the pent up emotions, all the, um, all the troubles that he's faced in the past, he, he just he just gets this moment to release. And, you know, that's a memory that um, I'll have, really, for the rest of my life, you know? So I kind of teased this question to
0: you earlier today, and I think maybe a little bit yesterday as well, but I, I brought up Luka Doncic. Uh, you fast forward, it, this is year 21 of Dirk, but this is year one of Luka. He's a rookie, 19 years old, a lot of parallels, from Europe, we acquired him through a draft day trade. He's been an amazing rookie. Most likely, will run away with the Rookie of the Year award. And Maz fans are extremely lucky to yeah. have someone, you know, take the torch from totally. Dirt, basically. Um, but before I ask my question, I am curious, what did you think I was going to ask when I
9: said just just be ready to talk about Luca? Yeah, I. I don't think it's the question that you're going to ask because it's, it's, it's too easy. But I, I thought you were going to ask if he was going to live up to Dirk's standards. Okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's somewhat of the same question. My, yeah, you're, you're right. My question is a little deeper. So we have Luca here, and all MFFLs, Maverick Nation, and Maz fans all over the world are gleefully, like, they, they're on top of the world right now because they have the best rookie in the yeah. NBA. But do you think, and I believe this is true, that because of Luca's greatness this year and potential greatness that we see from him in the the future, it's actually taking away from Dirk Nowitzki's legacy. And I'm going to ask that by saying, by really getting into, Dirk is not having an official farewell tour, but we all kind of feel that this might be his last year. It might be next year. Who knows? He might come back. But we all know if Luca was not around, this would be a Dirk love fest through and through. And we would appreciate and we would look back at all the memories and plays that Dirk Nowitzki had for the Mavs. But because Luca has been such a star, people aren't doing that. People are looking f- towards the future. And that's, just, that's, just, uh, that's justified. That's fine. But it's also, in my opinion, taking away from the greatness that is Dirk.
9: How do you react to that? Yeah, you know, um, I really like this question because um, because it does it does dig deep, and um, I think outside of the Mavericks uh, community and Mavericks fandom, I think it does take away from it um, quite a bit. Um, really, just because so much of the focus is on Luca. But I think I do think that what's cool is that for people that really do care, I I don't think anything can take that away from um, from Dirk's legacy at all. You know, really, I think part of that is just because of who he is, Mm -hmm. and you know, I I know that we hit on this earlier, but this is a guy that is all about sacrifice. It's almost like his perfect way to say goodbye because it's not really is, yeah, and he's always said that. When he does retire, like no one's gonna know. I mean, he's just kind of gonna float off like a, like a, you know, like a Jedi ghost <laughs> um, without anybody really knowing, yeah. you know? Um, and that's the way that he wants it. Uh, he, he's the ultimate sacrifice guy. Um, you, you know, one, one thing that I was reading recently, uh, I think it was from Tim Cato, and he was talking about um, just the sacrifice that Dirk has made throughout his career. And uh, one thing in particular that he was hitting upon is that really Dirk has had career averages of like 23 points and 8.4 rebounds. I mean, that's substantial, right? But today, his career averages have significantly dipped because he's willingfully decided to take a role off the bench.
6: Mm-hmm.
9: I mean, what, what other Hall of Famer is going to do that, mm-hmm. right? And his numbers, his career numbers, are taking a significant sacrifice as a result of that.
4: Mm-hmm.
9: I mean, these are pl- like his numbers are plunging. Like his two his, three points, his, his averages are hurting. His career averages are hurting significantly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's essentially, you know, twenty years down the road, when all people really have are like numbers, and they don't, you know, they don't care to dig into the details. Mm-hmm. All they're gonna see is these career averages, you know. Yeah. Like they're gonna, they're not gonna know really who or what Dirk Nowitzki was all about. But he's he's sacrificing all of these just for the betterment of the team. Yeah. And so he's going down in a way I think that like he cares about. But I think for 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 Mavericks fans and the Mavericks community, like they'll never they'll they'll always appreciate who he was and what he stood for and what. You know, really how he represented sacrifice and giving back and being a team player and just being a good person all around. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're right. Sacrifice. Another buzzword with Dirk would be loyalty, right? Loyalty to the city, the franchise, his teammates, his family, the fans. Um, So, yeah, we've gone into what makes him special as a person and we've gone into what makes him special in terms of his um, work ethic and his ability just to take the losses in stride and to improve himself. But I want you to get into a specific account of him as a player. Like, what made him so special? Or what season or what moment about uh, with Dirk where you just realize, well, this guy is... A top ten player in the NBA. This guy is a top twenty or top thirty player in the history of the NBA. What about his basketball abilities made him so good?
9: I've I've always been challenged for being a Mavs fan with the Mavs, you know, rose-colored glasses on. Um, and so, if you had asked me, um, you know, how great I thought Dirk was, and really when it was that kind of sparked that it would have been from the start, you know, um, this, what 19, 20 year old kid from Germany, um, that showed actually showed a lot of flashes of athleticism. But I think what really stuck out to me about Dirk when he entered the league was he really gave no Fs. Mm. I mean, he would try to dunk on people He would try to drive past them. You know, he would pull up on them. He would shoot J's in their face. He just showed that level of competitiveness from the start Mm -hmm. that made you think that like if developed and if groomed and if grown, he could potentially take it to another level. And uh, I know we talked about kind of this like give no F's mentality with Luka Doncic and with Dennis Smith Jr. Mm-hmm. A lot of the greats need that, right? They need that level of fire. They they, they need to rise above the media or the, the criticism uh, about what other players think in order to ultimately develop into that special player that they really are. And so um, obviously Dirk has done you know, really, if you were to sum it up, he's just done a lot to, to, to change the game of basketball. Mm-hmm. And we all know that. And we're all defaulted to the fact that, you know, he's got the one legged fadeaway, which plenty of future hall of famers have been quoted to, to talking about Kevin Durant, Kobe Bryant. Uh, so many players have this in their arsenal. Russell Westbrook has it in his arsenal. I mean, you know, you could probably go down the, go through the all-star list and, Every player from three to five probably has the one-legged yeah. jumper. Yeah, or their they've tried to add it. Or they've tried to add it. Yeah. So he's changed the game, right, with the one-legged fadeaway. He's changed the game for a power forward, obviously. Um, I mean, what other power forward can you think of that back in the 90s started pulling up on people, really developed the pick-and-pop was so versatile that he could shoot the three, and he'd, really he'd stray away from the paint. I mean you know all-power forwards back in the day were, were all about the paint. Like if you couldn't body somebody up, then you were pretty worthless. And, and it's crazy how he's fast forward to 2019 and is the
0: complete opposite, yeah. right? You have okay. to be skilled, yep. you have to be to be able to shoot from the outside, to put the ball on the floor, make plays for others. And Dirk was doing
9: this back in 2000. Exactly. Um, and then obviously he changed the game for he changed the foreign game you know um, if if you have to point to any one player you're probably going to point to him for mm-hmm. changing how foreign players are seen how they're viewed how they're evaluated um, he's, he's really just opened up the door for the NBA so some of the cool the cool individual accolades
0: or stats that he accumulated that are Pretty cool to me is, you know, he joined the 50-40-90 club, which is cool. 50% field goal, 40% three-point percentage, and 90% free throw. That's just amazing efficiency, especially from a seven-footer, right? Um, And I think for the longest time, it was just him and Hakeem Olajuwon in the history of the NBA Mm -hmm. where their points and rebounds and assists averages Actually, increase in the playoffs compared to the regular season. That includes Kobe, that includes LeBron, Jordan, Shaq, all the greats. It was only Hakeem who is awesome in the playoffs, and Dirk who is also equally as awesome in the playoffs. Um, one thing that I'm I'm on his basketball reference page now, and just looking at his, you know, like six or seven year stretch during his prime, um, the fact that he was so per- perimeter oriented. He still averaged seven, eight, and nine free throws a game. So it's not like he was just, you know, living on the outside. He was still driving the ball. He was still drawing fouls, um, finishing at the hoop, things like that. So he was very, very versatile. And like I said, I wish people would would have appreciated Dirk pre-2011 more because that was when we saw him at the peak of his powers yeah was there anything i know titus you and i are a couple glasses of wine deep now (laughs) but what else did you want to bring
9: up you know i think i I do want to touch on what you said there because from 2005 to 2011 the mavs had 750 win seasons 750 win seasons and two of those were 60 wins or or over Mm -hmm. and If you look at that stretch of time, I think what's most incredible is that he practically did it by himself for a pretty long period in his career, really from 2005 to 2019. This is after Nash is gone. Dirk only played on a Mavs team uh, that had an all-star for that particular year twice. Hmm. In a 14-year period, he's literally played with two all-stars. And one of those years was Jason Kidd, who entered the All Star game via injury. Yeah. And the other was Josh Howard, who is probably the worst All Star in the history of the <laughs> <game>. NBA. <laughs> Come on. And so, you know, I, I think what, what really makes Dirk special is that he's done it alone. He, he's, he's literally Mr. Lonely. He, he's never really had. A great, great teammate. I mean, you look back on history, right? And let's just talk, let's just talk most points scored in the NBA all time, mm-hmm. right? Because there's only a handful of them. If you're talking MJ, he's got Scotty. If you're talking LeBron, he's got Kyrie or Wade. If you're talking Kobe, he's got Shaq. If you're talking Kareem, he has Magic and who knows how many others. And if you're talking Maloney, he has Stockton, mm-hmm. right? Dirk's all there, all up there by himself. Yeah. And that's what makes him so special, is that he's battled this level of adversity, oftentimes alone. It just makes his accomplishments that much bigger to me. I think it's funny because when I was reflecting on, on what makes Dirk so special to me, mm-hmm. um, I, kind of, I kind of got dark. And uh, where this kind of led me was that it led me to people in my life that I, I'd like to think of myself as a, as a nice guy, Um, and that not that many people, um, hate me. (laughs) Uh Um, but I, you know, I, I think like any person you come across conversations in your life where, um, things come out the other end, not so good. Uh And I'm thinking of three particular, uh, people in my life and some really just heated conversations that we've had. Dang. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about this and I was like, man, like, we were pretty cool, you know? Um, we were pretty close. We are um, you know, we we're friends. Wait, you guys are not friends You know, friends we're still friends. We're, okay. still friends. we're <laughs> oh, still geez. friends. We're still friends. But, you know, I've been thinking about, like, what happened? And what this has led to me back to uh which is kind of funny and interesting Mm -hmm. is that we've in each three of these situations and you know this this is spread over like a 15 year period in each of these three situations (laughs) i've had these really big heated conversations with these people yeah and it's been about dirk dirk (laughs) it's literally (laughs) been about dirk the dunking deutschman it's been about the dunking deutschman And, you know, I'll give you the skinny on it. One of those conversations was game six, 2006, against the Heat. We lost. I don't know why I had at the time, but I I watched with a group of people. And one of the guys just would not stop doing this celebration dance in front of me just because he knew that it would upset me. Um, I'll never forget that. What celebration dance? Um, Just whatever just just (laughs) dancing in front of me oh no and i've never felt that much animosity like like you wanted to punch him (laughs) (laughs) um but i'll never forget that moment and then uh there's another time uh the second of which where i got in a really heated conversation with um a guy um really a friend of mine who's City in Texas will not be named. Um, but he claimed that Dirk did not single handedly, and the, the key word is single handedly, win the 2011 finals for the Mavericks. And I just felt extremely disrespected. What was the crux no, no, no. of his argument that it was Jason Terry? It was just really diminishing his accomplishments.
0: So let's that Yeah, so let's dive into this or let's elaborate on this more before you get into the third example. But even today 2011 is remembered more for LeBron's failure than really the Mavs winning, right? Let's all agree every everybody feels that everyone first of all was cheering with the Mavs, which is great. It's the the deferring LeBron. Yeah, yeah, but it was more of like a black mark on LeBron's career, than really an a, a great accomplishment for Dirk, for Kidd, for Carlisle, for all these guys that, for Terry that played for you know, eight ten plus years that are were super hungry. Yeah. And I don't think people realize just the, the power the strength that can come from just a really hungry team, a hungry group of gentlemen. Men that really just had one single ultimate goal.
9: They all had a chip on their shoulder. Yeah,
0: and sure. they and they wanted to win. And then not only that, the very next year was locked out, so we didn't even have a full year to really appreciate or even celebrate that championship. And then it was a shortened season, and we lost in the first round. And it was, you know, LeBron's era started after that. But really, twenty eleven people are not going to value it um, as high as people should. Hmm. So I wanted to make that point. I don't know what you thought about that, but um, you can go ahead with, with <laughs> example number three or situation number three. Situation
9: number three I'll go into. Um, and I would actually argue that this may have been the first internal six pennies podcast which took place in galveston texas and we had a extremely heated conversation Uh about dirk and kevin garnett and the battle between them the comparisons who's the better power forward over their span of careers and things got heated albert so before you go in
0: can I, can I just give you a little... I just want to give you some facts. I All I do is give people statistics, right? You can't really argue against the numbers. So this is Dirk Nowitzki versus Kevin Garnett head-to-head in the regular season. So this is Young Dirk, yeah. Prime Dirk, Old Dirk. Same with KG. Young KG, Prime KG, Boston Celtic KG, Brooklyn Nets KG. So... All of this you have to take with a grain of salt. With that being said, Dirk averages more points. He has more wins. He has a better field goal percentage, three-point percentage, free throw percentage, better win shares, uh, wins over replacement. That's in the regular season. They played 37 games head-to-head. Dirk won 20 of them. Pretty close, right? Pretty yeah. close. Yeah. But let's turn it up a notch. They've met in the playoffs. When KG was a T Wolf, Dirk beat them, swept them three games to none. Um, Dirk averaged 33 and 14, 33 and 15 for that playoff series. KG averaged 24 and 18. Dirk shot 52%. KG shot 42%. Dirk shot 72% from three. KG probably got lucky and went one for two and hit 50% from three. Dirk, 89% from the free throw line. KG, 72% from the free throw line. Again, the win-loss record in the, in the playoffs, three wins for Dirk, zero wins for KG. I really respect what KG has done. He also was an elite defender and rebounder for his position, and his versatility was second to none. Head-to-head, there was no contest. And I just want to make that I just want to make that clear. Dirt's Dirk Nowitzki dominated his matchup
9: against KG almost every single game that mattered. Well, so the proof is in the data. But one thing got to another that night, and um, let me just say that I may have. This may not have been the Six Pennies podcast. This could very well have started off back in the day as the Eight Pennies <laughs> podcast. <laughs> because the other six pennies were actually the only other ones in the room for this particular heated conversation.
0: Oh, was it just two and on two?
9: There was some I mean
0: some it, it wasn't just two
9: it wasn't just two on yeah. two um, okay. throughout the night. But it did get heated. And I will say that two of the six pennies Meaning one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, that day... Ended up shoving me. Whoa! <laughs> His name is Timmy Chu. <laughs>
0: we, were Jon- <laughs> we were there for Jonathan... We gotta edit that out. We were there for Jonathan Bach's bachelor party. So those are four of the six <laughs> pennies. And obviously I was the other two <laughs> pennies arguing for Dirk. And this was 2011, right after the final. So obviously I was on a high... I, I admit. Um, but if you add the last eight years, I don't think there's even a contest. I think it's Dirk over KG <laughs> yeah. even more. Um, at that at that particular time, it might have been more even because KG had an MVP and a ring. Same with Dirk, an MVP and a ring. Now looking back on it, that, that debate yeah. was silly. Yeah. I mean, it's just downright silly. <laughs> they were so in the wrong. I'm sorry, Mock. I'm sorry, Timmy, but... Dirk has surpassed KG. The only power forward I would put
9: above Dirk at this point is Tim Duncan. So never been the same, you know, never been the same. And <laughs> thus we have the Six Pennies podcast. <laughs> All out of a conversation about Dirk. All right. Well,
0: that really ends our uh, our portion with, with Titus Lamb. Thank you for joining. I can't wait for me to really compile all these interviews together, edit everything, make it smooth. Have us listen to this podcast again in like five years and really just think back that' be awesome on what Dirk was and what he really meant for us. So thanks again, Titus and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Wow, that was just incredible. I want to thank everybody again one last time for joining the podcast. It was very emotional at times, fun at times nostalgic at times and that's really the whole point of this podcast and that's really the greatness of Dirk. he brought us so many different emotions from good and bad and in the end he's gonna leave a winner he's gonna leave a champion and for me personally probably my favorite athlete of all time this is the six pennies podcast for those who don't know that means it's three guys it's myself jonathan and timmy we both give our two cents that equals six pennies we're going to get to Timmy shortly, and he's going to let us know what he thinks about Dirk Nowitzki. But if you can, please just take a couple seconds. Hey, Siri, please subscribe to the Six Pennies podcast. All right, so let's go to Timmy here. So we've, heard, we've just had, you know, 10 different people talk about Dirk Nowitzki. We had Mok talk about Dirk Nowitzki. Let's go to you now. What are your thoughts? What are your final remarks about the pending retirement of Dirk Nowitzki and just looking back on his career?
3: Man, I've never heard you so happy uh, talking on a podcast. You've been talking, Dirk, for, for weeks now, prepping this, huh?
0: Yes, you're right. This is a project that I've been working on. <laughs> it's been going for
3: a couple months, to be honest. Oh, months. It was definitely not approved by the Six Pennies Committee, um, two of whom are from from Houston, but that's okay. Uh, well, I, I just wanted to ask, did anybody talk about player comps? who they think Dirk is like? No, not
0: really like a comparison to Dirk. I yeah. think we talked about all the players since then that's really come out of the league because of the whole quote unquote stretch four, but yeah. not a legit comparison
3: discussion. Who comes to mind for you? Any any that jump out? Enlighten me. Yeah, I mean, I guess people would say some of his main competitors over his era over the eras, right? Um guys like Duncan and KG and Chris Weber. Those are the, the contemporaries, I guess. And then if you could keep moving it forward um, guys like Chris Bosh or Kevin Durant even, but I don't know. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was trying to come up with something to talk about. I know you guys have probably covered everything. And I know, I mean, I'm from Houston. I'm a diehard Rockets fan. It's, it's a uh, slander for me to even bring this up. But one guy that came to mind was Hakeem Hakeem, the dream. Wow. Your and- best player and my best player. And I'm not saying that they are comparable in terms of how good they were and uh, their totem pole in league history. I think Hakeem is pretty clearly higher there, um, but just like arguable, arguable but continue. I mean, you you could try arguing. I, I don't I don't think we have time for that po- on this podcast. Uh, yeah,
0: I don't want to lose any points. Hakeem is in my top ten.
3: Derek is my <laughs> yeah. twenty
0: five.
3: Yeah, that that sounds very reasonable. I've, there are so many parallels, though. Both of those guys as uh, as pioneers coming from a completely different continent. Uh, relatively unknown, of course, diverging stories in terms of Hakeem playing soccer his whole life and then going to UH, of course, and being part of Faisal Amjama, whereas Dirk is just, you know, basketball in in Germany. But both of them just coming to the NBA and and making a splash as like completely unique individuals in terms of their games. Hakeem with his um, amazing footwork, being one of the best offensive and defensive big men of all time, uh, Dirk with his incredible shooting ability at that height uh, and, of course, his footwork, too. And then both of them with their signature moves, which happen to be some form of a turnaround fadeaway. Um, and just beyond that, I think I was thinking about their playoff disappointments and successes. Um, Hakeem struggling against the Sonics for many years uh, and a number of other teams. Dirk, of course, his struggles against the the Spurs, the Suns, et cetera, until they finally reach the pinnacle um, of course, the dream doing it twice. Uh, but
0: you know. <laughs> uh, that's funny that you brought up, you know, Dirk's failures, because I haven't really haven't really researched Hakeem's like historic history as a player. And I haven't really focused on his failures as in the playoffs. I know Dirk has had a ton. And I, I think the one that really jumps out is the finals L as well as uh, 07 when he won the MVP yep. and loss in the first round.
3: Oh, yeah, those are huge. Uh, but revisionist history for Hakeem. People don't really think about it. He didn't win his title until 10 years in, um, which today is is not like a huge deal. But back then, you know, guys didn't only, didn't play more than 12, 13 years. And so he was deep in his career. Um, he never really made it very far after the first finals run uh, in 86 and always had, had trouble against the Sonics. And um, some of those other teams, too, were, were not the easy for us. Remember, John yeah, Jazz, the game winner. Jazz, Jazz were, were later. That was after after the championships. Uh, the I mean, you can call it John Stockton's game winner. I call it Carmelo's bear hug on Clyde Drexler to free up Stockton. But anyway, yeah, I mean, there were definitely struggles in the playoffs. Hakeem wanted to be traded at one point um, in the early 90s when he was not happy with the situation. So, yeah, I think there's just a lot of parallels there. And and again, I'm not saying they're they're the same. And obviously they're not a direct comp, uh, but I just saw so many similarities there. I thought you'd be interested in hearing it. No, that was cool. You're definitely the only one that compared
0: Dirk to Hakeem. I appreciate that because Dirk, he is the greatest Maverick of all time, and Hakeem is the greatest Rocket of all time. So props to both of them. Well, congrats, man. I'm
3: glad you got to do a whole Dirk pod. Um, You're not going to do it again. Nothing else Dallas-related for like three years.
0: (laughs) Deal. deal. (laughs) All right. Please subscribe to Six Pennies Podcast on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on TuneIn. If you have time, please go to our Facebook page, facebook.com/sixpenniespodcast. There, you'll find photos, videos, uh, latest posts of our content, prize giveaways, things like that, and also links to our amazing sponsors. Check out our Twitter page, the Sixpennies Pod, and then finally our Instagram account, also Sixpennies Podcast. We're gonna be a lot more active moving forward on Instagram. We're gonna have Instagram only giveaways and promotions